This is Daniel Warren Johnson, the creator of Space Mullet, and you are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> oh, did you hear the snapback on the end of that? That was great. I'm liking these new digs. <laughs> you and me both, babe. Yeah, I'm liking them. I know. It's weird until until I get the the comic room set up. This is this is probably going to be where because right now I'm I'm in the I'm in the same room I was in last week, just in a different. We finally set up the dining room table, so it's my back. It's I'm not sitting in the same spot I was last week. It's just in the same place, but it's how many it's rooms? Also, how many rooms in the house? No, how many rooms did you hit it in? <laughs> I was I was gonna ask if Chris in that table yet. <laughs> well, this is a table from the old place anyway. But well, oh, so it's already been though. broken in. Gotcha. Right. That's a personal question. I'm glad you. Well, you didn't really answer it, did you? No. He's just a squirrel trying to get a nut. There you go. Wow. And we're a bunch of nuts because you know what this is? This is eleven o'clock comics, episode five hundred and seventy three, buddies. Yeah. And I am Vince B. Oh, you are Vince B. I missed you. And I am David A. Price. Oh, boy. Relax. <laughs> My dude. <laughs> I'm a little rusty. I just got back from a freaking 17-hour trip. Um, yes, you are, in fact, David A. Price. <laughs> and I am sadly in mourning because I am Larry Lieber. Oh, uh, you're not Larry Lieber. You're Jason Wood, and we have a guest in residence this week to, um, wow, I was going to say share the festivities, to to help us, sorry, to help us, I, you know, it's the thing, to, to help us um, through this this time. He, You've heard him before, you know him, you love him, he's very articulate, he's kind of smart, he's family, and he's Mario. Hi, guys. Hey. How are you? We haven't Keep spoken us. to you in a while. It's so good to hear your voices. Is it? No. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Of course it is. Ah, We love having you here. Thanks for having us. Sure. You know who else we love having? We love having our books delivered right to our door by Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com will do just that. You order them, they carefully pack them, and, and... Gen, genuflect in front of them and put them in your box and then you get the box right at the front of your household. Nothing can be easier. The list of specials is up. They are many, but I have selected three from Image. It's Jesus Freak by Joe Casey and the amazing Benjamin Mara. It's a hardcover. It's a very attractively placed uh, hardcover at seventeen ninety nine. but that's not what you're going to pay. Because you're smart. The DCBS price is $8.99. That's half off. And this thing is kind of cool because it's, it says it's, um, you know, the young Jesus is having some trouble adjusting to the violent world around him and finding his place within it. So I'm wondering if this is going to be done straight or if this is going to be like, uh, like the, like the Wolverton version of the scriptures or if this is going to be more like a crumb version where they take a little bit of liberty i don't know we'll see 
Worst case scenario, it's Joe Casey and Ben Mara. I mean, how bad can it be? From Dynamite, they're taking another stab, pun intended, uh, with Turok. This is Turok number one by Ron Mars and Roberto Castro. Uh, Bart Sears did a cover. Woohoo! Uh, $3.99 cover price. Your price is a $1.99. That's 50% off. And last but not least, something new, something different from Dark Horse. It's called Weird with a Y. W-Y-R-D. It's number one of a four-issue series, I believe. It is written by Kurt Pyers and drawn by the great Antonio Fusso. It's a kind of... um, Constantine, real-world situation. Peter Weird is one who solves all the uh, strange cases. And this is one of the same. Three ninety nine cover price. Your price, $1.99. DCBService.com does not mind late orders or order editions. And you don't have to do a damn thing, but click on your keyboard and you get comic books brought to you. You lazy Americans. It could not be easier dcbservice.com there you go there you go that's all she wrote yeah before we get into things i i I think i just want to start off by saying uh all the love and positive karma to all of our friends out in cali because damn these wired flyers are just uh pretty getting pretty crazy um not to say that they haven't been nuts in prior iterations but it seems like this one is taking on a whole new level so all of you uh, out there Stay safe, and I hope uh, you and your families are okay. I echo that. Truth. But it's the perfect scenario, isn't it? Fire where there's not a whole lot of water. That's a big part. That's all a big part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's those drought conditions and all the water they do have is routed to the cities to keep everybody's stuff working. It's yeah, it's it's just baffling. It's a feels like Mother Nature getting us back, right? Right. It's Mm -hmm. a bad scene. Uh, I hope it's resolved quickly. Yep. And uh, cue, cue the this has nothing to do with climate change malarkey. No, no, not at <laughs> not all. At all. Right. Nothing. <laughs> no. Yeah, here with your science. Your coincidence. Yes. Your magic science. Science. It's voodoo. Science. <laughs> anyway. Oh, yeah. Let's do the drink roll call because I got something special. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Why don't you start us off then? Well, yeah, I did want to celebrate le- this week, huh? I I stop, I made us I made us popping the bottle of Dom. I made us if I had the 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 lucre for the Dom maybe, but I stopped at the local uh, beer meister and I picked up a case of Perpetual IPA from Trogues. I love this brew, love yes. it. Yes. What's the IBU? Um, I don't have my glasses on. Uh, oh, eighty-five. Hard pass. Sorry, but the alcohol is only seven point five, so I got to drink a couple of only. That's a huge amount for a beer. (laughs) What? That's a huge alcohol amount for a beer, right? Dude, the the ones I drink are like nine and ten. (laughs) Well, that is unusual. Yeah, like a traditional American beer is way less than that. Well, there's nothing traditional about Trogues. Or you? That's true. So, yep. I'm I'm pouring a perpetual down my gullet. There you go. Nice. Uh, what's our what's our what's our faithful guest drinking? Uh, I just finished up some wine from dinner. Um, 
and uh, I don't even know what it was. It was uh, we bought a we had a Halloween party on Halloween, and oh, thanks for the Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. And uh, we bought a <laughs> bunch of wine to have for guests, and uh, I bought a bunch of like, like. There, you know, like there's wines out there that are like, you know, like blood. You know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not like Halloween wines, but they, they have something in the name or something that like could lend itself to Halloween. So oh, I think you, it was like you're working a theme. Yeah, yeah. It was some, I think it was called Paranoia. The bottles, the bottles in the kitchen. But uh, I'm finishing that off, and I have some some bourbon on uh, on standby for when that's gone. My man. Okay then. How about you, Jason. I'm uh, taking a trip to Argentina Ooh. for a little uh, a little toppies. Um, in this case, it's the Malbec. It's their, it's their, it's their 2013 toppies Malbec Alta. It's, uh, it's legit. Legit. I can, I can take or leave Malbecs, so I, I'm pretty picky with them, and this one passes muster. Nice. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there on that. Oh, I know you are. Well, no, I mean just the Melbex in general, but yeah, not. Yes, not, no, I know, I know. Okay, I, no, I didn't know if this isn't the first time we've talked. That, true. <laughs> wow. Nice to meet you again. Um, no, I just thought maybe if anybody thought I was I was drinking wine tonight, but Mario and I were um, we were trying to um, think about what to have tonight because um, I was going to have wine, but there's a um, there's a bit of a of a chill in the air. I came back from from walking outside, so I am going with some bourbon. Uh, actually, no, it's I'm sorry. I'm having because um, I figured it was it was fitting. I don't have this too often. This is the uh, Hibiki Suntory Whiskey Japanese Harmony. Damn, mm. Suntory time. Yes, is that kind of like that stuff that Hassan? Uh... It's it's the same. Distillery. I don't think it's the same bottle. I don't think it's the same stuff we drank that night, but it's very similar. Wow, and that stuff is evil. But as as with all evil, that translates to very very good. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll double check with Austin, but I don't think this is the same one he had. When you say Suntory, I think of Lost in Translation. Yeah, and I've never seen that movie. Oh, you've never seen it? No, not 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 in its entirety. Why you didn't care for it? Yeah, it was just something I I don't. But it was also my. my, I, I don't see what the big deal is with 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 Scar Joe phase. So it just Oof. it just really wasn't. You're losing me all the time. Right. Yeah. Me too, man. Oh my goodness! You think you know somebody? The movie it's is all phenomenal. Good. It's all good. No, that's cool. Vision in it. I wanted to see it. I wanted to see it from Bill Murray. I just it, it just it, I didn't have cable when it was going. It was it was just the whole thing. So no, I, right. I still haven't seen it's it. It's still available. I believe it is right. I could probably catch it on like yeah. you know they, or some shit. They've destroyed every single print. Of that movie. <laughs> By the way, talk about feeling old AF. That that's from 2003. That film. It's 15 right? years old. Yeah, it's <laughs> that's <crazy>. ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> uh, before we dive in, I have a thank you. Oh, nice. Yeah. Any? Um, this is. I got a box in the mail from Davin Pasek. Nice. And uh, he said, uh, "Hey, guess what?" And I said, "What?" Let me get this here before I. He said, uh, guess who was in the shop? And I said, I don't know. Who was in the shop? And he said, Sean McManus. And I said, oh, do me a favor. Give him a big hug and tell him, I said, thank you for being awesome. And a little time 
went by and he said, I'll do you one better. Check your mailbox. And I said, okay. It, waiting for me in my mailbox was, in addition to a beautifully screen printed t-shirt featuring the Shadow Club logo, because we all love the shadow, thick ink on this thing. It would survive the the nuclear fallout. And I said it like that on purpose. Nuclear. Yes. Uh, there's two pieces of shadow ephemera in here from the Shadow Club and associated things. But the reason why he said uh, the Sean McManus angle was because his print shop did up a bunch of McManus prints. And guess who he gave a signed one to? This who? guy. Me. This uh, guy. You, right? This guy right here. And it's a jungle girl swinging. And there hmm. is a albino silverback gorilla in the background. It's it's so awesome. It's Sean McManus. I'm redundant by saying it's awesome. But it is. It's a vision. It's wonderful. And I got to thank you, Davin, for sending this to me. It's going in frame and it's going on the wall. That's awesome. Bada bing. And the shirt is going on my body. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to wear it when I'm with Jason so he can weep because he does not have one. I'm going to cry. Yep. So that's my thank Spe- you. Speaking of crying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's uh, been a week. It's been a week. Yeah, it's been a week. I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I assume most of our listeners assumed that, that we would go this route tonight because how could we not? But we really want to uh, to to pay our respects in our own way to uh, to the to the man of the of the of the moment, Mister Mister Stan Lee, who passed away at the ripe old age of ninety five. Long run. Yep, ninety five. Oh wait, Larry Lieber, his younger brother, who I was uh, introduced myself as, is eighty seven. Mm. Yes, sir. And still, still, still going strong. They have some good genes in that Lieber family. It's true. It's true. And um, so, Vince, we'll leave the floor to you. I know you have the most to say on this. Yes. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not going to front. Um, the man was beloved by a whole big chunk of the globe, as my Facebook feed would attest. I mean, on the day it happened, ev- it seemed like every single person was throwing up a stand picture or offering condolences and and uh, remembrances and, and personal um, insight into how much Stan meant to them. And that, that's, that's awesome. And you need that catharsis when somebody close to you, I mean, Stan was never close to a lot of these people, but we they felt like he was right um and and that and that's how i'm approaching this i'm i'm certainly not going to vilify a guy in the wake of his passing that's not what this episode is for i love stan lee but i love the fictional construct of Stan Lee, the guy that came in through the bullpen bulletins and told us these mm-hmm. Marvel books are the best thing in the world and mm-hmm. we make them for you and this is how we do it and the massive alliteration and the carnival barker and just he, the, that, that fictional character of Stan Lee, had he not been a part of the Marvel books, I would not be 
a comic book reader today. Yeah. That and that's what I love. That's the person that 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 imaginary character of Stan Lee. And that's why I think the Marvel movie cameos are a really smart thing because it's it's the same old business. Stan made cameos in every single Marvel comic up until a certain point. I mean, and then his name was on him, so it was like he was making a cameo. So why wouldn't he make cameos in the movies? Mm-hmm. But so, yes, I'm not going to poop on the man. I love the character of Stan Lee. Okay? Well said. Yeah. yeah. Hey, guys. It's Caleb. Uh, so there's no good way to say this. This sucks. Um, it's, it's it's kind of shocking. I think we all knew this day was going to come, but none of us ever wanted to think about what would happen when it did. Stan Lee was a legend. Uh, he was a legend in my own time. Um, I'm you know I'm, I'm 31 years old, and I can't ever remember a time where I didn't know Stan Lee's name, even if it was just from you know, around the way, uh, knowing his voice from Spider-Man and his amazing friends, or once I got old enough to recognize that comics were a relatively new industry with a relatively new set of uh, people who, who crafted it. Um, you know, we lost Steve Ditko uh, over the summer, and Stan was kind of the last surviving titan of of the people who created the industry that we all know and love. Uh, and, you know, it's a lot of talk going on on social media right now as to what his legacy is, and uh, his legacy is Legion. There's There's so much of it, but to me, I think the biggest testament to his legacy and to who he was and to the, the things that he created or at least helped create is this. It's the communities that celebrate uh, his his creations. Um, you know, it's the 11 o'clock comics family. Um, you know, the fact that this, this exists, as Jason said on the Facebook group, it throws directly back to him. Um, you know, uh, Bill Zanowitz said it best earlier on a little chat that we were having. It feels like we all lost our collective grandfather. Uh, so when I heard the news, you know, I immediately just had this visceral reaction. Or just broke down and cried, and fortunately one of my dogs was nearby, so there was puppy cuddles, which, you know, puppy cuddles always help. But anyway, um, you know, I don't want to be long-winded. We all have we all have thoughts about Stan. We all have stories. Uh, just, just it's it's hard to it's hard to think about a world where he doesn't exist. So uh, I've got a shot glass full of bullet tenure sitting right in front of me so i'm gonna lift one up to him and yeah thanks man thanks Stan. bye guys yeah and uh, i mean what you said about you know him that character and him being in the comics and you know like the the, the soapbox and all that stuff yep. and him him you know he he through those comics you know he really I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm looking at the comics that came before. I, I don't really see it, but he really fostered and and created through that that feeling of community in comic book readers, exactly. whether through the letters page or through you know the the bulletin bulletins or the soapbox or stuff like that. He really, you know, he you could say that he has a large hand in modern day 
comic book community fandom. Sure. Because sure. he made that. You know what right. I mean? Mm-hmm. He made everybody feel like family, whether it was him or not or whoever was. You know what I mean? But like right, through right. that character of Stan Lee, we felt connected to each other. And that goes on to, you know, podcasts and, and you know, forums and things that came after that. It's all – you can trace it back to that kind of that instance you know, because before that, you know, looking at like Golden Age or, you know, DC Books and the Silver Age, it wasn't as much of a family feeling like that. No, hell no. Uh-uh. But mm. but whether it was, you know, Stan or like, you know, the uh, group of people at Marvel who who saw the marketing potential in that. Yeah. And how, you know, you know, I guess you could argue, was it for marketing purposes? I tend to think it probably was because I'm, you know, you know, cynical. But yeah, uh, I, I, of course it was. But, but, it, it but it was smart. a brilliant and decision, it, it, nonetheless. Yeah, and it you know it 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 created a huge huge fandom that is you know a giant community. But the thing that Marvel also did, or Stan through Marvel did, was he gave you a little bit of an insight into how these things are made. You never heard, you rarely heard the DC people talk about their version of the bullpen and the guys that, you know, were all huddled around Jazzy John Romita looking at his latest right. page. And, mm-hmm. and, and I was there when, when Steve handed off his page to blah, blah, blah. And it, you felt like you were actually in the Marvel bullpen. Right. And you had, you had a, a, a stand's eye view into what was going down. That was more of the community. The thing that, the one thing that I took away from Stan, the biggest thing I should say, is that damn alliteration. I cannot mm-hmm. write more than three paragraphs without sticking some kind of alliteration in. And I always say, I, I think in damn Stan, like, God, screw you. I can't get away from it. Everything is better with alliteration. It's true. Jazz and, and the, well, again, whether or not it was a an editorial decision that they all came to, or whether it was just Stan being being the hepcat that he was, the naming of the Marvel bullpen, Jazzy John Ramita, just putting that that preface, uh, the the adjective like I, this. Here's the king, King Kirby, Jazzy John Ramita, smiling. You know, it that just made everybody seem familiar and comfortable and approachable and human. You know, I, I saw the name Carmine Infantino. It was just like, okay, that, that, that's the guy <laughs> right. that's doing it. Right. But, but when you saw um, Smiling Steve or somebody that had a, a the the um, the Stanism applied to their name, you, oh, it was like, cool. I know this guy. He's fun. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. these are the books that I love reading. So it, it's 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 all. It was all just a sense of done in a sense of fun, but you can. I mean, I still see the picture of Stan lighting the cigar with money. That that, oh, that crazy, yeah. That they ran in the in the crazy magazine. So I mean, smart businessman, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes, very, very much so. Yep. Yeah, I I think um, Mario touched on the thing for me, which is that he's to at least in my world the embodiment of the butterfly effect. Um. It should go without saying that 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 in both direct and indirect ways, none of this, meaning this show, our friendships, 
our experiences together would exist without him, right? And others, yeah. but I mean, but I think where he deserves the credit, and it's the direction you both have taken so far, is that um, Stan, for all of his 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 faults or flaws or 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 things that are worth questioning and criticizing, was the ultimate ambassador for comics. He was the guy who was there at the beginning of of the business, and then um, went through his own period where he was embarrassed about comics and which is why he changed his name uh because he always thought he'd go back and be a, a great novelist and he wanted to be able to use his real name for that to to the point where he he realized that that it was not only something not to be embarrassed about but something that he could as you alluded mario foster this sense of community and that that extended into a lot of ways that i think are the embodiment of why this hobby for as Fakakta as it is in a lot of ways still exists which is that he created both the, the kinship of fandom um, which is what binds us all together. But then he also created the kinship of the creators and the fans, which you alluded to this idea that we could and should be friends with the, the creators and view them as friends and have a personal uh, appreciation and, and, and in some cases love for them. Uh, and, and that's just not something that was done, um, especially with what they would have called lowbrow entertainment. Right. I mean, it, it, it's funny when you look back and you think about how in many ways these legendary creators were um, cogs in the wheel. Right. And that was the, the sad part. They were they were slaves to the to the to the publishers and didn't make a lot of money and just and viewed a lot of what we hold dear as just work product. But at the same point in time. Stan helped us as fans not not only not see it that way, but to see it as like this magical place where they were all having a ball creating these things for us and just doing it with a sense of wonder. Uh, and I think that mythos still carries forward into a lot of more tertiary fandom to this day. I, I, I've, I was at work this week, you know, people knowing what a comic nerd I am offered quasi condolences, but a lot of them still presumed, as I think most people did, that Stan was a major part of Marvel to this day. My, uh, my oldest son texted me cause I was away uh, for work and said, uh, dad, I'm sorry to hear about Stan Lee. And he said, is, is Marvel screwed now? And he asked me the question <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I was like, Oh buddy. I said, you Stan's been a, a figurehead for decades. He, you know, Marvel's Marvel's not getting impacted by this except maybe spiritually in, in any way, shape or form. But, uh, yeah. but you know, so yeah, I, I, I think that's the thing. And, and then look, even, I mean, if you want to even get more granular, you know, we've talked before that uh, without podcasting, without CGS, we wouldn't all know each other and we wouldn't have done this show and you wouldn't have done the bullpen bulletins. But but you can tie Stan into that because the reason that CGS became wildly popular right out of the gates is that they got Stan Lee to come on their show. Like he, he didn't even know what a podcast was and they reached out to him and he came on in one of the earliest episodes and that got all of us, all of our attention. Right. So. Um, I just think that uh, no one I, I don't putting aside the who's resp- the debate, which will never end about who's responsible for the creative aspects of of the, the characters we hold dear. Nobody can touch him in terms of the impact he had on comics as a medium and the belief, last but not least, the belief that he held till his dying day that these characters could and should be more than just throwaway periodical characters, that they, they should be the biggest things in pop culture. And, you know, even when we started this show 10 years ago, that was something he held true. And a lot of people still 
questioned, right? They weren't sure if that was ever really going to be the case. And he spent 40 years of his life pursuing that. And let's be honest, made some bad deals in the process trying to achieve that. But he had a vision for what this this magical universe of superhero characters could be that no one else had for a long time. And now is an absolute fact, yeah. right? There's there's 90% of the earth knows who these characters are now because of the vision he had in the seventies turned out to be accurate. Just took a lot longer than he probably would have wanted. Right. So I don't know, man, I don't think you can understate the importance to him on, 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 on my personal life. And then I think on our fandom, I just, I think, um, and that, and that's, that's not in any way trying to, um, romanticize the, the very real, um, flies in the ointment in terms of the way that he, you know, handled his, his partners and his co-creators and that sort of stuff. Right. I think that's all part of the narrative and shouldn't be ignored. But I think if we're just celebrating, we can we can we can acknowledge that that's all very real, and still say without any hyperbole that his impact on fandom is unparalleled. Sure, sure. But if you take a look back on the progression of of mainstream comics, Stan spearheaded the impossible. Yes, it may have been on achieved on the backs of others, but if you look at the the dominance of DC in the market and for how long they were top dog. And then Marvel comes along and almost instantly, yes, it took mm, a bunch of years and, and the college students all bought into it in the fantastic four. And, and that, that snowball that just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger that Stan crushed his books, crushed the competition, not just the, the second in line, but everybody else Till this day, all those books that that were number one, Justice League and Batman and Superman, Stan and his posse came in and they destroyed the competition. And it's been perpetuated since. So you got to give him props for getting the job done. You know, such as I mean, as it was, he he just raised the landscape. Of, of periodicals. Marvel was top dog for the duration. I mean, yes, in aggregate, there are some months when DC is, is a little higher and, you know, they struggle back and forth sometimes, but long story, in average, Marvel just obliterated the competition from Stan's tenure onward. That's an achievement, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Dap, why are you quiet? Because there isn't much I can. There's no point in in jumping in or interrupting. Everybody's saying what um, we're all pretty much on the same page. It's just with um, it's with um, when it comes to Stanley, it's um, there's a uh, it's not just for me reading the comics or, or watching the cartoons and. And hearing him on Saturday morning cartoons, it would, I um, I read the every day when my father would come home with the newspaper, I'd be reading the Amazing Spider-Man Daily Strip, and it. I, I guess even though Stanley presents every Marvel comic, it was um, I was also reading something he was he was writing 
every day and and it's weird even like like with jason and co-workers is i i had emails and, and texts from family members monday um there's yeah there's just something about and even even my my wife's brother called her and and he was um she was telling me that he was he was on the verge of almost being like inconsolable it was just she, she's like listen i can't i can't deal with two of you right now but she <laughs> she was um yeah, it, it's 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 weird, man. There's there's just I mean, it's something that we I think we we knew it was going to be coming, I guess, sooner rather than later. It's it's still never something that anybody's that I don't think we we were prepared we were prepared for. But um, yeah, I just it, it, it's there isn't there isn't anything I think that I do. Um, in my day-to-day life that I mean, whether, whether it's, you know, there's every, every, there's something in almost every room in my home that has some connection to Stanley. And, and it's, it's not, yeah, you know, we all say that, you know, we, we have, we have a fondness for comic books and, and, and there's a common thread. We can find common threads in just about everything, but there aren't too many threads. I think that all somehow are connected to to one person as as they are with with Stan, I, I, it's it's weird. And it, when I was much much younger, my my um my grandfather, my uh, paternal grandfather, had a brother whose uh, whose name was Stanley. So whenever when I was much much younger, uh, and and my father said we were going to, to Uncle Stanley's house, it just I thought that somehow. My family, we, we were related to uh-huh. Stanley, but it's just there's just yeah, it's I don't know, man. It it it's his cameos in the movies that there's still going to be some coming out in, into next year, and um, that that's going to feel a little weird because it's I mean, we we know that they were all they were all already filmed and, and are going to be added to the movies as as they come out but yeah it's he's he's never even he's never going to be gone and i i don't i'm that that helps me somewhat and it's um you know i i know that yeah it it's it's just it, it's it's not surreal, but it's still not something that I think I can kind of really wrap my head around just yet. Yeah, Here's I mean, like, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. no, I was just going to say, like, it's hard to wrap my head around because I mean, Stan has always been there. Yes, right. He's, I mean, he's he, you know, I mean, you're saying like, you know, I mean, when I was little, like, you know, the amazing spider-man was amazing friend cartoon like he narrated some of those right and Mm -hmm. you know i knew i knew stan lee's voice yeah like i knew it when i was little you know when i was under 10 i knew that voice and um he's always been there and like you know um you know i love kirby but kirby died before i really appreciated Mm -hmm. you know uh i mean like you know i'm a huge ditko fan but ditko was you know he's this recluse who yeah he he was essentially gone already. You know what I mean? He like, you know, he's yes, he still made work and it was fine. And, but you know, like he wasn't out there, you know, you didn't, he wasn't in the, you know, 
in, in, in the community of comics or anything like that. But Stan was always there, and it's just, you know, it's just hard to think about him not being there anymore. Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's, you know, you know, I think while I think the the biggest thing he did was usher in, you know, was be a cheerleader and and usher in the fandom and support the community and and just really be the you know the cheerleader for comics through like the sixties and seventies and such. And I think while that's important, I think that the you know while the artist did the heavy lifting of the story and uh, you know the even the plotting and stuff like that. I think that we have to give Stan some credit f- just for the words. You know what Definitely, I mean? Because yeah. those words, like, here's the thing, like, you know, Ditko didn't like hippies, right? But Stan <laughs> saw something in hippies. Mm-hmm. You know, Stan was kind of like a, you know, the world can be better. The world can be better through love kind of guy. You know what I mean? And while Steve didn't like Spider-Man, you know, being, you know, uh, supportive of hippies as he swings over them, Stan, you know, makes Spider-Man be supportive of them. And, you know, he, like with Spidey and the Marvel characters that he scripted, like the, the, the words added even more of a complexity and a, that flourish of dialogue he had that he, I'd say he added heart that could have not have been there. You know, Kirby was action and big and, and, and his stories were, you know, larger than life and they're amazing. Um, but I feel like through the words that, that Stan really added that heart, you know, and without the words, the Stan made with the words, Stan made it something more than it could be. And it, he didn't, he didn't just add dialogue. He added, thematic and philosophical you know um touches that the artist you know like ditko may not have agreed with and that you know that i think are important today you know i'm a bleeding heart liberal so like i read old marvel comics and i you know i don't know how anybody in comics gate or whatever the fuck can look at him <laughs> look at that shit so and sure. say and say that it's you know that's what they long it, for and it's like really are you sure really? right are you sure <laughs> what, I mean, what have you been it's, reading it's, it's pretty you know like you know love the world kind of like everybody can take care of each other kind of stuff but i think that that is important when we remember the legacy of stanley mm-hmm. yeah hey guys it's Dallin baumgarten calling it's hard to put into words all my feelings about stanley but there's one word that always comes to mind for me and that's inclusiveness inclusivity if you will and i hope you will he always found a way to make everybody feel like they were part of the club and i can demonstrate that most beautifully by a dramatic reading of the cover copy from boom number one greetings O seeker of truth thou hast found thy true nirvana Here in the hallowed circle, thou art truly amongst thy peers. Thou art truly welcome. Thou art truly safe and secure within the fabled far-flung fellowship of Foom. From this moment on, you are no longer a lonely wanderer on the twisting treadmill of life. 
Ever at your side stand the rapturous ranks of plumedom assembled. Your days have found new meaning. Your nights have been enriched. Your world has gained new luster. Thrice blessed are you, for you have embraced the cause of boom forever. Now let the angel chorus sing, and yet, here in this minuscule moment of eternity, O oh, glorious infant, we can but hint at the wonderment that awaits you. Here within the pages you so proudly peruse are contained the words and thoughts, the hopes and aspirations of your fearless fellow boomers. Here, clutched within your frantic fingers, it's the first of many such magnificent magazines which you'll receive, an endless bounty of all that is best, all that is noblest, all that most truly symbolizes the soul and the spirit of we who follow. Boom! I could go on and on, but to what avail? Already my limpid eyes grow misty, already the tear-stained page turns soggy in my hand. Only a fellow boomer like yourself can sense the lump in my throat the deep emotion that threatens to overwhelm me. For of all the countless words I have penned in days of yore, none have been so fraught with meaning, so tinged with drama, so garnished with glory, as these which now you read. Welcome to Foom. The best is yet to be. Excelsior! Rest in peace, Stan. I think that the reason why Stan didn't excise any group was because that was a potential um sale that why would i want to dump on the hippies they buy books too right you know so yeah, that he, i think maybe, that's you know he went on his college tours and he talked yeah, to everybody right. and I, yeah it's it's you don't i mean he wouldn't you're not he's you're not yeah, stupid was, right exactly. right yeah. but and and also i think from a workflow perspective or standpoint the Marvel method is absolutely brilliant. All right. Yeah. This this guy's coming down. He's big. He eats planets. Uh, he's he's going to – he's got this, this wandering Jew with him, and he's going to come down, and the Fantastic Four are going to freak out. Um, Ben's going to break shit, and then this is what happens at the end. Here, go do it. If you're running the business and you're in charge of who does what and – and and getting books out on time and just getting books out that workflow shortcut is amazingly powerful you get yeah. you get credit for writing the book and the dialogue okay that's that's yours but to have someone piece like to to separate the workload across the board while you are just managing the who's got what and when is it coming in that's brilliant like the Marvel method is is creative in a sense that yes it does foster collaboration but not really it just fosters extreme production because right, production you're, you're, right, the, right you're the, spreading the, the work out among a right, bunch the of Marvel bullpen was really just a way to to optimize putting out these funny books right right but I mean they say you know we did it the Marvel method so basically the artist did the whole thing and I'm not being facetious but and then someone did the the words. But, I mean, that in a nutshell is the Marvel method, which if you're, if you're watching the, the bottom line, that's a great way to do business. Yeah. And, and right. I don't know if we intended to go down this road or if we will go deep down this road with this, but we have talked about this, this before. Um, I think we had a very long conversation about this on the anniversary of Kirby's death a few years ago. Uh, 
you know, ch- chances are, because none of us were there, that the narratives that we heard from these two older gentlemen long after they fell up, fell, fell away from each other, uh, it's the old adage, there, there are three sides to every story, you know? Yep, yep. Um, like the one that I, I've seen a lot, written about a lot this week, as, as, as lots of non... Because Stan's, Stan was so well-known, he's been eulogized or mentioned in tons and tons of mainstream press as well. Um, I've seen a lot of, of, of recounts of that, uh, the Fantastic Four origin, right? And, and that's probably the most divisive um, story from Jack and Stan's viewpoint in terms of their memories and recounting of what happened. There couldn't be more different, right? Uh, in that, uh, as the story goes from, 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 from Jack, uh, Martin Goodman uh, was pretty much liquidating the office taking the furniture out. He walked in and Stan was, was weeping in his chair because he didn't know what he was going to do next. And Kirby said, kid, just convince your, your cousin to uh, let me put out some superhero books. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll make us all the money we need to make and that. And he stuck to that till his death. That was the story he told many, many times over his last 10, 15 years. Now Stan's version is completely different. Stan's version is that Martin Goodman was liquidating Stan was was disgruntled uh, for a long time about having to continue to just chase um, copycat stories, which they had been doing for three decades by then. That was Martin Goodman's go-to move, uh, was to be number two in the market and be a fast follower. And he was lamenting to his wife, Joan, that he just didn't know what to do. He was just going to move on and do something else. And she said to him, you know, basically nut up. And if you're going to quit anyway, or if the business is going to go under anyway, why don't you just tell a different kind of story? Tell a story that you want to tell. Why not? What do you got to lose? And so he added what is now the humanistic angle of the Fantastic Four, and they were off to the races. Now, I would imagine, because both are very romanticized versions, that it probably was some combination or, or something far less dramatic on both sides. But like that's an illustration of how... You know, I mean, to 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 history goes to the victors, right? Because I saw a lot more of the recounting of the Stan Joan version than I did the Jack version. Sure. Because number one, because Stan's the one passing away, but number two, because Stan was the transcendent figure in terms of pop culture, in terms of outside of the comic world. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I I think about this a lot when it comes down to the Jack versus Stan debate, and um, that story does 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 resonate with me that to your, your point, Mario, that it wasn't, you know, we can't just say Stan didn't have a hand in the creative process. Right. Because like, even that, I mean, by their, both of their own admission, the fantastic four was made to copycat challengers of the unknown, which Jack had done at DC. And the big difference between fantastic four and challengers of the unknown is personality, right? Like what makes the FF, the FF is that they were family they loved each other. That was on the page. They had quirky personalities, but the roots of it, in that it was copying the challenge of the unknown, which Jack also had a hand in. They that was a boring AF book. It was just straight pulpy sci-fi. The characters didn't really matter. It was just about what they were doing. And so I, I say to myself, like, I, if I'm looking at that objectively, Stan clearly had to have a hand in the human in the humanizing of these characters which is a non-trivial part of why Marvel, to your point, Vince, 
overtook DC after a decade and a half of DC dominance? Was it the they were telling stories where the characters mattered, their his, their stories, their flaws mattered, whereas for DC it was always about the iconography of these characters. They were pretty much perfect in most ways, whereas Marvel made its bones by making them imperfect. And and I have to say that that no one's going to ever convince me that Stan wasn't a huge part of that of that central component of those stories. No, I don't think you need convincing, but on the flip side, if you look at the new gods, there's a lot of everything you described in Jack's storytelling too. Mm-hmm. So, uh, while but I the do, the new gods was, was after though, right? Sh- that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. that, if that was Stan, solely Stan, that was bringing that to the book, where sure, did it, sure. where did it come from yeah, after yeah. Jack left? Did he learn from Stan? Possibly. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did. I mean, that's not uh, beyond the realm of possibility. But you know, they, both were were very adept storytellers in their own right. Mm-hmm. Uh, as to who did what, we'll never find out. I yeah, do. right. Yeah. Um, the other thing you, you had mentioned, Vince, that Stan was an incredible businessman. I, I'm not even sure I could co-sign that. I think he was an incredible marketer. I think yes. a predator naturally good marketer. Well, and, I, and I call that as business. A res- as a result of marketing, luck, tenacity, and nepotism, he became a very wealthy man because of that. But overall, as a businessman, I think he made a ton of horribly bad decisions. Oh, sure. I mean, look at the years. whole uh, Dennis Kitchen situation. Yeah. I mean, for, for years, Stan was trying to get Dennis as an editor. And he brings him into the office and he says, look, this underground shit, somebody seems to be paying attention to this stuff. This could be an untapped market. We don't, we don't have a huge footprint on the magazine rack. Let, let's do this. And it lasted three issues and Marvel lost some money. Uh, but Stan at least tried it, you know, and unprecedented Stan gave Dennis kitchen and everyone who worked on that book, full creative control, not only on the page, but they owned all their characters and all their artwork. That was unheard of at Marvel at the time. So Stan was a visionary in the sense that he knew in order to grease some wheels that he would have to do things that Marvel normally didn't do. But what if, mm-hmm. what if comics book caught on? I think, I think the, the comic landscape would be infinitely different at this point. It's just there. It was a, a question of the maybe the wrong people at the wrong time or the wrong magazine. I don't, I don't know. It, it wasn't the undergrounds were raunchy and profane and and everything that was not commonplace in mainstream books. But the thing about comics book was it wasn't raunchy enough. There wasn't enough nudity. There wasn't enough you know violence and drug use. It was there, but it wasn't. The, the the dudes that bought the underground books took a look at comic book comics book and said this is sanitized underground stuff we don't want this and the people that didn't know what the undergrounds were took a look at it and said this is not Marvel I don't want this you know so it, it may have been a lose lose proposition but at least Stan had the guts and the he took a risk it didn't work out but what if it did oh mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the, the the mind reels what if that actually worked yeah. So, do we want to like recap the highlights of, of of his career arc, or do we assume most people know that? Or I don't, I don't know. We didn't really game plan this. Uh, this I, evening, I, but. I think most people know 
Yeah. I mean, if they're listening to this, they know more than most. Right. Um, so I think we should just uh, the big the big numbers, right? Uh, the big big picture. You can do that. Why not? If if nothing else, it'll just be a a roll call of all the the things that the man had a hand in. Well, you know, I, I, if we if we don't want to like go through his his career, which started again when he was nineteen years old, which is insane. Um, and look, the nepotism. Uh, lots of lots of great businesses were. <laughs> start, but uh, we should. By the way, sometime we—I don't know that we've ever done this. Uh, we should. We should dive into Martin Goodman because, because uh, I, and I don't know where you guys feel about this, but I think Goodman was. If we're playing the, the butterfly effect, no, we can't discount the importance he had. But I also think he was more a more traditional villain. Yeah, I, I think he was purely profit driven and had very oh, yeah. few, very few ethics, very few morals. Oh, most think, of the publishers were. Yeah, and I think if you're going to, I think at the crux of the, the Ditko and 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 Kirby does stem from Goodman, in that number one, you know, here he is given his cousin, this 19 year old cousin who, by all accounts, was a ADD addled, annoying kid running around the office while they're trying to work, uh, a power position, and then as many of the story goes, basically made him fire everybody on two separate occasions. Um, you know, and then it had to be very humbling for Jack because of the way things went at DC the, to have to come back and then stand as in charge, right? I mean, this kid that annoyed the shit out of him when he was there the last time um, is now the boss. And that I, I would imagine that their relationship was never great, you know, because they weren't peers. They weren't contemporaries. Really. Right. I mean, they, 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 you know, Jack was a established it's grown ass man that had this kid coming in and saying I'm you know and being given a position of power um and so I think that was always probably an undercurrent there but um but but I do think that that when because Stan's career was so long um I think the the interesting part to me is that is that if you're going to give him credit for uh as a creator it's about the 60s right like the 60s are when Stan did his work as a creator he basically co-plotted. I'm not going to say wrote because of the discussion we just had, but he he co-plotted and edited and oversaw the marketing of essentially the entire line, for give or take. I, I'm I'm you know it's more like 85 90 percent, but but basically the entire line. And during that course, he and his artistic partners created most of the iconic characters that we now hold dear in the Marvel universe. So it's like that decade was where he gets to be on Rushmore as a creator. Yep. All the stuff that came before and a lot that came after was much more about the industry, from my opinion. Like his place in terms of shaping the industry and its place and the importance of the industry and, and its appeal. It, but but as a creator, it's the 60s. The 60s are when he made his mark with with Ditko and Jack and John and and John. You know what I mean? Like, But that was really when he was doing it. Because I think his la- he, he last wrote, he was last a regular writer for comics, what, in... Uh, like a like, what like sixty? I'm guessing what like sixty eight, sixty nine, right? Like give or take. Well, so, the seventies is when he handed it off to Roy Thomas. That's what I'm saying, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So, so like sixty nine, I think was like the last last time he wrote Sp- Amazing Spider Man, right? Um, it sounds correct, but I'm not. Fantastic sure. Four was a month, either a month before or a month after. I forget which one was. The, I think maybe Fantastic Four was August of that year, and 
and ASM was July, or maybe vice versa. I might have those confused, but but yeah. So he kind of handed off the reins and then became an ambassador, and he went off to Hollywood to try and sell these ideas in Hollywood, and and didn't have a lot of success at first. But um, but I do, you know, I do think as much as he was a showman in his seventy years, really was more about being a a showman and ambassador. Um, that is a you know that ten year period when he was a creator is arguably as potent a 10 years for comics creation as there ever was. I mean, that is a hell of a decade, right? Agreed. So, yes. Even though my heart is in the bronze age, the seventies, you gotta give it to the sixties, just the creative explosion. They produced all of the characters that are, we love, but not only that, that are making billions of dollars now. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. They they created the Marvel version of Disneyland in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think the most accurate representation of Stan, as far conceptually in the comics, remember there those those flashback issues. The they were minus one issues of of all the Marvel books. And Stan, mm-hmm. Stan would come in. He'd be, he'd be the carnival barker. Yeah. yeah. It, it, that, the Chris Pacello Stan is like dead on the money. Yeah. Where he What's would be. What's his name from Mr. Miracle? Flashman? Funky Flashman? Funky Flashman. Yeah, Funky Flashman. <laughs> Funky Flashman. <laughs> but, but no, I wasn't going to say that. But um, that, that was Stan. He was the guy banging on the podium saying, I got something to show you. It's right behind this curtain. You want to come see it because if you don't, you're going to miss out. All your friends have come through. They know mm-hmm. what's up. You got to come in. That that was Stan's strongest thing. Yeah. Where, where yeah. you know, and you didn't have to see his eyes. Dude was human clickbait. Always had the glasses on. <laughs> That's so, right. So, I mean, right. he, he was the consummate showman. As far as comics go, I don't think anyone screamed longer or louder than Stan. Mm-hmm. He Stan is, I mean, and, and it, it's just another way to say what we've been saying tonight. Stan's ability to make you not just interested, but invested in in these characters and these stories is is second to none. I mean, I I'm I'm a DC fan, and and I mean, I'm a comic fan, but you know, I'm a, the DC characters I like. It's not like if and I I still haven't read any of the just imagine Stan Lee stories that DC put out. But the, um, I, there's, you know, and, and, and not to get into the whole Marvel versus DC bullshit, but there's, there's, there's an attitude and, and a, I mean, and, you know, like you've, we've already discussed with the bullpen and everything. There's, there's a, a, he, he gave those creators a personality and, and, and made you want to know more about him. And, and that's that's one of those things where if if DC had someone like Stan, things would be so much different. But it's it's you you couldn't I it that would be a definite test to to see Stan try to make someone interested in Hal Jordan or Barry Allen and it's Th- those weren't necessarily, ca- and and that that maybe it's also because of the whole, the whole legacy aspect of it that these that, that the names that these characters, alter egos have been around since since the forties and, at least Marvel is is a bit more current and up to date and you know we're not we we don't have characters I mean Human Torch aside we don't have characters that have been around since you know your grandfather fought in the war it's it's just these are well, we have the invaders. 
Right. Yeah. But still, you you still had, you know, those were stories set during that time with the invaders. But yeah, you didn't the Fantastic Four. You didn't you didn't need to worry about it wasn't showcase number four. Or, or 22, where, where there's some connection to the past. There's the Fantastic Four, it was Amazing Spider-Man. These were just, these were new ideas. And um, it's, there's just something about, about Stan Lee telling you, true believer, what, what you're going to be in for and what you can expect. And, and you're damn right. I want to buy that book and I want to turn every page and I want to soak it all in because it, it's whether I'm and and this week I've, I've been rereading some of that. I, I've been reading the Stan and, and Gil Kane issues of amazing Spider-Man and, and, and the dialogue and, and the, the conversations that, that Pete has with Gwen or, or the, the words and the thought balloons that are, that are coming out from everybody's heads and, and, and how Bullet is, is, you know, hates the liberals and, and down with the hippies. And, and there's just all this, this, and really DC didn't kind of have anything like that for me until Denny and Neil took on Green Lantern and, 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 Gave them a sense that, you know, this is what's going on in the world. And we're using this particular comic book with these two characters to the three with Black Canary to 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 let DC readers know what's going on in the world. But but Marvel was kind of like always, always said they just they stand was telling stories that were even though, you know, the dudes swinging through the city in a red and blue outfit, the, the they mentioned Ralph Nader and air pollution. It's just like, and, and, it, but it's just in the background, but it, it's still, it's like, there's, there's something going, there's something real world about this mm-hmm. in, in this little amazing Spider-Man comic book that, um, you know, it's, it's not written for someone that, you know, thinks that, you know, Superman can move a moon with his bare hands without, you know, barreling through it because of physics, but it's just one of those things where I, it, and, and that's that then the Marvel comics. And it's probably another reason why I consider myself a New Yorker is that th- th- these were, these were stories that took place in the real world and, and in real cities and, and everything kind of took place in New York, in Manhattan and, and you know, the X-Men are in Westchester. And, and, you know, it's just, it, the whole package between the characters and 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 the settings, but it's 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 Stan that really cemented my helped cement my love for 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 these characters and for this for this medium. Yeah. Rest in peace, Stan. Comics as we know it would not be what it is today without his influence. Love him or hate him because he had fans and foes alike, but his contributions to the medium are just, you, you can't, you can't mention comics without mentioning Stan Lee. I mean, he was, he was 95. Like, we, we knew it was coming, but still, like, it's just such a massive impact. Like, saying it out loud and like coming to terms with it, like, he's gone. And he leaves behind decades and decades of stories, characters, events, and, and just overall fantastic memories. 
every actor, every producer, every studio that do superhero movies, let alone the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they owe their careers and their their paychecks Stanley. So let us all raise a glass and say all together, Excelsior. Yeah, as Jason likes to say, I can't front um, one of the most important books on my bookshelf is Origins of Marvel Comics. <laughs> Not because of of what it is, but I bought it. Well, I didn't buy it. My mom bought it for me. We were in Rockefeller Center around Christmas time of 1974, and I wanted it. She bought it. I was completely convinced that this Stan Lee guy was on the level. This is this is the guy from those comics I love, and he's talking to me about all the characters I love, and here's how they came about, and here's stories featuring them, many of which I had never read because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't old enough. And in 74, I was only nine. So I read this book at least 10 times, mm-hmm. pr- probably more. Mm-hmm. And and I still have that original copy. It's on my bookshelf. And and it's not so much the book, but it's it's the the way the book transports me back to that time when I was completely enraptured with Marvel. And most of the reasons why I was was because of Stan Lee. This is the guy in charge. This is the name I see in all those books. And he's telling me, this Fantastic Four, here's how Stan or Jack and I created it. This is what we did. It's about this, and these are characters that we fashioned after this person and that person, and the thing is is Jack, and I'm reading it, and I'm like, holy shit. I felt like he was sitting next to me just telling me the whole process, and then you got to see the comics. I, I seriously think Marvel should really consider reprinting Origins, Son of Origins, and Bring on the Bad Guys in, like, just to commemorate Stan's passing. I don't know if commemorates the, the word I want to I want to use, but to to in order to celebrate the man, do a slipcase version of of those three books. I think the time is right. People want to. I mean, this just to convince the people who don't know Stan from anywhere other than the movies. Like, look at all the things the guy had his all the pots the guy had his fingers in, right? Right. Yeah. So Toshin, I don't know if you saw Vince Toshin's putting out a book. Uh, for Stan, uh, it, unfor- unfortunately, it's uh, it's the first version is going to just be a thousand copy limited edition slipcase with his signature, of course, and it's fifteen hundred dollars. That's Tashin for you, yeah. So you, that's that's even above my pay grade. I'm not going to be buying that. But <laughs> yeah, right, you, I you me no. one, Screw, Yeah, so, that's above yeah, his pay. Listen to this. this. So so, so uh, <laughs> but. but but hopefully they put out a uh, a non signature slipcase version at some point. Yeah, they will. Um, Does the um, signature version come with a, a a piece of Spider-Man's actual uniform? Because Tashin does weird things. Like they'll they'll include a, a stand on for the bigger books. You get the stand with the book, and it's like ridiculously expensive, and it's only available in 500 copies and with a real wood box to enclose it. Like, they're crazy with their upscale right, versions. Right, right. But people yeah, buy them. So, 
I know, I know. One thing I wanted to mention before we move on is that, uh, you know, I I've, I've really do just love the the romantic aspect of 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 Stan and Joan. So, you know, he was with his wife for seventy, well, sixty nine years. Yeah, and. Look, I don't know. Obviously, I don't know Stan personally, but but by most accounts, he was madly in love and faithful to her. Um, in a in a time when in the sixties and seventies that wasn't very common. <laughs> and one of the fun things I thought about Joan is that first of all, for those who don't know, she was a model, and their relationship wasn't without some controversy. She married a guy that she met the day before, basically to come to the United States. So uh, and then and then left him and divorced him and married Stan shortly thereafter. So a little bit of a of a naughty, naughty uh, romance in the beginning. But but they were together and then she passed away from a stroke just about a year ago. And uh, it's probably coincidental, but but there are many cases of lifelong partners. Yep. One goes and the other just just oh, my grandparents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, same. I, yeah, same. So it's just like okay, it's time, and uh, and and although he was ninety five, so certainly the odds were in 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 time's favor. Uh, I'm I'm I do believe that that's pr- probably part of the reason why this vibrant guy who basically had um, a Lazarus pit in his uh, sauna uh, finally succumbed. I think because Joan was gone, and she, that was his muse. His always was his the love of his life, and. The the fun part of it is that, you know, we like to poke fun at each other a lot when we're talking about Spidey, about Mary Jane versus Gwen. And I have said very, very uh, awful things about Gwen over the years. And you guys equally besmirch MJ. Um, and what's funny is that is that uh, is that Gwen is 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 the comics version of his wife. Um, in fact, there was that. uh that uh, was in Marvel Comics: The Untold Story. Is that what that? Yeah, that was what that book was called. Yeah, Remember Hattie. that uh, Conway was in that book, just ripping yep. Gwen Stacy to shreds. Yep, saying that he just thought she was a vapid, useless character, and it was basically just Stan's desire to put his shiksa wife in the comic, and he couldn't. And, and <laughs> yeah, MJ was classy. A, yeah, and and MJ was such a more interesting character. And uh, while it's still about the only time in my life I've agreed with Conway on something, but. Um, but uh, yeah, so so I don't know, man. I lo- I love the the Stan Joan aspects. And uh, speaking of that, one of the fun things we're doing uh, in honor of this is is every day this month we're going to throw a little something up onto the Patreon um, about Stan, uh, whether it be fun interviews from YouTube or or crazy comics you might not know that he was involved with. Or uh, and I thought of that because today we put up uh, a picture of them when uh, shortly after they were married, and they were good looking, man. They were a good looking couple. They had it going on, so um, yeah, I, I I I love that part of him, right? At least at least what what I believe it to be. I don't I don't know for sure what their marriage was like, but I'd like to think that it was the the embodiment of the romanticism that uh, that was portrayed. Truth. Yep. Nothing gets Vince going like the romanticizing a marriage. Yeah, because I can completely understand that. <laughs> so so relatable. Shit. <laughs> Dancing in the streets, my friend. Oh, goodness. Whatever. All right. Um, so we all read something that Stan had a hand in mm-hmm. for this episode. Yeah. Jason, what'd you read? 
I tried to read something that uh, I I didn't remember reading in the past. I may have read this, but I don't remember it. And so it was the Amazing Spider-Man number one ten, which was his his Stan's last issue writing Amazing Spider-Man. And uh, uh, just I did double check; it, it wasn't sixty nine. So this issue was July seventy two, and then Fantastic Four. His last issue was in August of seventy two. So he he was writing this stuff till seventy two. But uh, yeah, so this was one ten. Uh, written by Stan, uh, art by Jazzy John Romita, with John Costanza on letters, and it is uh, called "The Birth of the Gibbon," and it is essentially a one shot with a cliffhanger, as as almost all comics had back then. But basically, Peter's being Peter. He is down on his luck. He is just punching himself in the nuts over how much he sucks at life. Um, uh, a good reminder of how comics were written back then. <laughs> it's 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 you know it's a little rough going in terms of the ex- exposition and whatnot. But he's just woe is me. Uh, Flash Thompson is uh, he had just saved Flash's life, and it's interesting they misspell Flash Thompson in the opening splash page, um, or at some point it got changed because now it's T H O M P S O N, but in this issue is T H O M S O N. Yeah, Stan wrote that. You fucked that up. Probably, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, or Costanza screwed up the letter. I don't know which. Um, but uh, he's calling himself a loser. That he, you know, why can nothing go right? He, he, he's, he's worried that he's gonna, that he's gonna lose Gwen to Flash because Flash is feeling some kind of way about her. He's mad at himself because he uh, forgot to turn on his ca- his belt camera to take pictures of Doctor Strange, <laughs> who was in the, the issue before. Then he punches a. Uh, the metal top of a city, uh, like fire exhaust flue. And then he's like, Oh, and now I've broken my hand. And it's like, wait a minute, you broke her. Like you're Spider-Man. Like how you, like how you breaking your hand punch? I don't understand that. But, um, but he's just like really down on his, on, on his, on his luck. And he throws his camera in a fit of rage because he's just such a loser. And, and, and he's just, he's lashing out. But, but somehow somebody up in, in the skyscrapers in the sky, not him catches the camera. And swings through the air and hands him his camera back, and it's this this dude named Martin Blank, and he is uh, well, he's, he's jacked up, he's ugly f, he's uh, got sunken eyes and and um, a really gigantic mouth and scraggly hair, and he's just just an unattractive dude. Uh, but it just so happens that he also is incredibly agile and strong, and uh, Peter's trying to give him a little pick me up, like. Like uh, Marty calls himself a freak, and Peter's like, "You're not a freak, bro. Like you're the, you're that dude. Like you're you're amazing. Look how nimble you are. Like you you like you you've got a lot going for yourself." And 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 Marty says, "Yeah, thanks, man." But like he just he goes back into his place, and he's like, "Oh, I, you know, Spider Man doesn't know. Like I like my life sucks." And he's he's staying at a flop house, and uh, and then you get the obligatory flashbacks to this dude's life, and basically he was a goofy kid who had. Um, ape-like features he had long arms and was strong and agile but was ugly and people would make fun of him and he used to love going to the zoo and ends up getting a job at a circus where they dress him up as a gibbon like a man gibbon and he performs and that was all going well but then people just laugh at him and make fun of him and it just drives him to uh basically a life of, of destitute uh isolation and 
But since this is superhero comics, he decides to um, heed Spider-Man's good fortune and puts on his Gibbon costume and wants to be Spider-Man's partner. And he finds Spider-Man back and he says, oh, I'm here to be your partner. And in what I would think today would be an uncharacteristic depiction of Peter Parker, rather than Pete bigging him up and saying, oh, man, I, I I really can't use a partner, but, you know, good luck to you. He just laughs hysterically in the dude's face, like just like guffaws at him. Like, what? You want to be my partner? Like, are you crazy? You're not going to be my partner. Like, and basically just mocks the shit out of him, chirps the fuck out of the dude. So the dude gets all salty and and he's now he's all now he's feeling to hurt. He's having flashbacks to when he was a kid and everybody made fun of him. And he starts, of course, fighting Spider-Man and beating the shit out of Spidey. Um, and uh, of course, it's Spidey, though. So uh, so he uh he gets away. He doesn't beat up the gibbon because he doesn't. He realizes the guy's lashing out, so he just he bounces though, and the gibbon is left pounding the the bricks of a building that he's on top of, um, saying how oh no I'm alone again. It's too late. I'm alone. I'm alone. And then uh, and then we get the hint that there's a there's someone else to come, uh, another villain to come. Who's we just see his 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 eyes in a in a dialogue talking about how he's he's got plans for the gibbon, but. Um, yeah, I mean the book. The book was full of of of, of rough exposition. Um, you know, the Gibbon even to this day is a D list character, but uh, th- this will not go down in the annals of uh, <laughs> uh, of classic America, uh, Amazing Spider Man stories or or Stan's biggest moments in comics. But uh, but I'm 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 glad to say that I finally read uh, Stan's final Spider Man story. So. Wow! And, and Gwen is Gwen is is prominently featured in the book as well. I should say, and at one point, because uh, Peter comes home from his escapades and he's like, "Oh man, I forgot to sleep for the last four days because of these adventures I've been on." And and he walks in, and Aunt May's like, "Dude, you're a wreck! Like your clothes are disheveled, and you got bruises on your face." And um, and Gwen is like, "May, like you stop babying him! Like stop! Like." Let the man be a man, for God's sakes. I mean, you know, like give him some space. Like stop doting on him. And uh, and so he lays down because he needs some rest. And then Flash Thompson's like, "Well, I'll walk you home, Gwen." And they walk out the door. And Peter's like, "Damn it! Like he's gonna get up on my girl now because I have to sleep because I haven't slept in four days." <laughs> so it's just great. Like Peter's such a hater. He hates himself. He yeah. just hates himself. It's like it's like strap one on, dude. Hey, like, no. man up. It's Peter. He so. gets in, he gets into those funks, but he gets himself out of it. Yeah, well, he yeah, was he was in the, he, he was in the haze in this issue. When you were describing the the interplay between the Gibbon and and Peter's, like, no nah, man, you're that dude. I heard in my head, look at your ass. It's so muscular. <laughs> yeah, muscular. Look at that muscular ass. You your ass is so. Ooh, come here. <laughs> it's not a bad issue. What did you read, Vince? But but Peter is super. Dude, the, here's the rough line. He laughs at him and he goes, "Now go back to Sesame Street, will you? I've got things to do." <laughs> that was that was superhero version of why don't you just go fuck off, please? Yeah. yeah. But reminding you what's 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 big in pop culture. Yes, right? it's right. almost right. as if uh, DeFalco wrote it. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> what did I read? Yeah. Well. Because of the controversy, 
such as it is, I did not read anything from the very fertile period of the 60s. I Well, this is on the cusp. You of, read it off the shelves. Yeah, I did. I did some of it. Um, the cusp of, of that uh, incredible explosion that we all know is the Marvel Universe. I read the, uh, like the Big Bang, that little incredibly dense speck that exploded into the, the universe as we know it. The Kirby and Lee monster stories were the direct precursor to the Marvel Universe. Without the monster stories, I doubt that the uh, the Marvel Universe would have exploded like it did because it 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 set up the the foundation for the the partnership and they're just extremely creative um this is journey into mystery number 62 not the whole thing and this was released in November 1960 so yeah the, the, we're ramping up into that Marvel Universe um it's the cover story called I was a slave of the living hulk. <laughs> and and on the cover the creature which I will I mean you know who it is. It says here comes dot 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 the hulk. And you got a uh, scientist saying I've done it. I've created a living hulk. It's not the hulk. It's Zemnu. Remember <laughs> remember Zemnu? Of course. Yeah. 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 The big orange guy, right? Yeah. With no mouth, right? No right. right. Gossamer I, that, yeah. that, uh, that bugs me. Yeah, Gossamer, exactly. Like, like, yeah. like Arctic Gossamer. It yes. is. Yes. It is exactly. So um, it, it, it follows the, the general format of, of the Marvel monster stories. Um, Air Force freaks out. They see a UFO. The UFO crashes. And wouldn't you know it, um, Zemnu is lying face down. In, in a pool of, of water, um, in comes dun, 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 Joe Harper. Now, Joe's a backwoods electrician. Uh, he has a shrew of a wife. The woman does not believe a damn thing out of his mouth. He's like, yeah, I got to go. I got to call. Somebody wants me to go look at their machines not working right. And she goes, don't bother lying to me, Joe Harper. This is probably something you and Fred cooked up so you can get out of the house and go bowling. Well, I mean, it's not a... If you're going to do something, you might as well go bowling. But she doesn't believe anything he says. So on his way to go fix the machine, he he sees the crashed saucer that, you know, uh, burns itself out. But he he gets Zemnu's body and he throws it in the back of his truck. And there's an absolutely ridiculous panel that Jack drew of harper's truck and he's got a tarp on it and there's two giant orange feet sticking out the back and and he takes zemnu's body home and since joe was great with uh, electronics and zemnu is is uh made of metal and, and part electronic he brings him back to life he, he gets him going again and zemnu says oh thank you for for rescuing me and he tells him his story and joe's not too swift on the uptake because zemnu uh -huh. says i was on a planet with many different alien races and and these these guards would come and and feed us every so often the ship would come down they dropped the food we'd be able to eat and then they'd leave us and and one day they dropped the food but i i got the the drop on the guards and got in their ship and i got off the planet and Joe doesn't realize that Zemnu was actually on a prison planet and, and he escaped. So um, 
he gets Zemnu all up to uh, working order, and uh, Zemnu says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to leave your planet, but in order to do so, I need a ship. So wouldn't you know it, I have this awesome skill where I can hypnotize anybody that's within eyeshot of my, my hypno-rays. So he hypnotizes the populace, except for Joe, which is his fatal flaw. And um, he the populace is now building a ship for Zemnu that's going to get him off the planet. But in doing so, the the Zemnu doesn't live, you know, right next door. So the the engines <laughs> the engines have to say. be now the engines have to be pretty pretty chunky to uh, to get him to where he's going, and they have to be nuclear powered. The thrust necessary to get him off the planet will destroy our world in the process. But he doesn't care; he just wants to go home. Mm-hmm. And uh, as a little boon to little Joe Harper for saving him, he's going to take Joe along with him to be his slave. And Joe's like, "Fuck that! I'm not. Do- I'm not doing that." And Joe does something that uh, shorts out Zemnu, and and you know that's the end of the story. But the uh, the artistry on display, Stan plotted it, but his brother Larry wrote it, and Jack and Dick Ayers did the artwork. It's just it's it's a really fine example of of the the skill that went into the the monster phase that predated the Marvel Universe. All these stories mm-hmm. are great. I mean, look at all the creatures we got out of that. Groot and Zemnu yeah. and Goom and just the and I like to think if we're going to romanticize it, I like to think that that Jack was in charge of the visuals and those crazy names. I'll I'll give Stan one. I like to think those are a product of Stan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so because they're not—they're not super creative. They're just silly, but s- right. silly, silly, awesome. Yeah, yeah, and and again, this fits the template—the ridiculous template—and um, it—it's my—I I love the Marvel monster stories. I can't get enough of them. So I wanted to bring something positive, love it to the table. So yeah. I brought some of the the, the Marvel monster journey. What was into I mystery. reading? What was I reading recently? Where like Zimnu and. And those guys showed up working with somebody. I mean, like, I mean, like, recently, like in the last like two months. Oh, it's probably was it, in um, Monsters Unleashed, right? What was it? Wasn't it Monsters Unleashed? No, no, it was like shit. I have to look. It might. It might wasn't, be. Was Thor. It wasn't Helen Commandos. Thor? Was was. Oh, oh yeah. no, that's a while back. But any the the uh, version of Ma- of Journey into Mystery number sixty two that I did read is in the Marvel Monsters hardcover, which was an event, a mini event that Marvel put on. Eric Powell did Devil Dinosaur, and there was a an overarching. There's some um, Giffen in here, and what they would do is they would put a chapter. Uh, there was a Where Monsters Dwell issue. They would put a chapter of new stuff in the beginning of the book, and they'd round it out with a, a reprint in the back, a classic Marvel Monsters reprint. And uh, the hardcover's great. Roger Langridge is in here. Um, there's a gigantic Ohatmu section in the back. Uh, what else? Who's in this? Well, Kirby out the wazoo, but um, Sean Phillips has some work. 
it, and it's great. It, the, it's the Hulk, the Thing, the Marvel monsters, the Fantastic Fin Fang Foom's in here, Vintage Groot, you know, um, Goom. It's if you can find this thing, if you can scare up the original issues, it'd, it'd be even better. Um, the, the the cheapness, but it's it's um, the they did a one shot reprint slash new stuff for Where Monsters Dwell. Let me see what I got here. Uh, his last appearance was Monsters Unleashed. There you go. Two and three, and then he was in Rocket Raccoon before that, and then uh, Uncanny X-Men and Incredible Hulks before that. Yeah. Deadpool team up back in 2010. So we're going back a little, a little for... Yep. Penciled by Sanford Green, by the way. Whoop, whoop. Interestingly enough. So there you go. Hey, it's uh, Flippa Dippa. So uh, today we heard the news of the passing of the great Sam Lee. Uh, I just want to say a couple words that, uh, you know, Kirby and Ditko made you read the page, but Stan Lee made you buy the next issue. Um, I consider him a legend. Man is something like Homer. He brought gods to life. He gave us something that I have no idea anybody else would be able to match his uh, work. Um, he'll be forever remembered, and his life work would always be cherished. I'm sad that he's gone, but I am grateful for all that he's given us um, and has given me. Um, so, here's to you, Mr. Stanley. Godspeed. Thanks, Stan. What's our guest, Reed. We have a guest. <laughs> <laughs> I read so I so Vince read something a little more you know off the beaten path. Um, I read a watermark story, reread a watermark story um, that I have probably not read in I'm going to guess 20 years. Wow! Um, and that's uh, I reread Fantastic Four. 48 through 50. Oh, <laughs> which would be considered by most Stan's greatest work. Yes, yeah, some would say, you know, Stan, uh, Jack's greatest work um, with Stan words. Yeah, uh, well, again, I mean... I'm, I'm yeah, just... um, but um, I reread, you know, The Coming of Galactus. And, uh, That's big doings. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, it's still great. It's still... You know, as wordy as it is, and as crazy as it is, and as '60s Marvel as it is, it's you know, it's it's riveting. It's still riveting. It's still you know, it's still like high drama and fun. And I had forgotten that Fantastic Four at the time was the way that those stories worked. Was that you know, 48 starts out with the tail end of the Inhuman story. You know what I mean? Like we're getting it's not, it doesn't start out like the Stan and Jack had this thing going on around this time where they were a story would spill into the next issue and about four or five pages into that issue that story would wrap up and then they would go into a brand new story. So, you know, which is smart marketing. You know, it keeps you coming back for the next issue. Um it's not great in the sense that it gives you a 
you know, like a feeling of, you know, beginning, middle, and end. But, um, you know, it starts out with the Inhumans and the and the uh, the wrap up of the Inhuman story, um, and then we go into you know the first appearance of the Silver Surfer who's out in space. You know, there's this guy on a silver surfboard flying around, and the you know the <laughs> I thought it was great. And this is all I'm sure. I mean, to me, this is like this is what's all this is what's Stan, right? So Silver Surfer's out there flying around. It's our first introdu- introduction to the Silver Surfer. Um, and uh, Stan writes, you know, a being whom we shall call the Silver Surfer, for want of a better name. You know, like <laughs> you know, like you know, is he going to come up with a better name sometime in the future? Because he didn't. It's the Silver <laughs> Surfer. Um, but he's flying out there, and the the scrolls just pop up just for two panels when they and and they're like, oh shit, it's the Silver Surfer. Black everything out. Let's get the fuck out of here. We can't have him see us because wherever he is, Galactus Galactus will be far not far behind, and he will kill us all. So you're you know you're immediately like, well, what? Who's this Galactus, right? But it's I just think it's great. These two panels are just the the scrolls just showing up like, you know, oh shit, there's <laughs> a surf. Turn everything off. All right, everybody, be quiet. Turn everything off and be <laughs> quiet. The Silver Surfer's right there, you know, like like you know, his cosmic power wouldn't be able to detect them. They're just like you know, turn the lights off, like you know, when somebody shows up at your house, you're like, shh, who's knocking? Just turn everything off. Just don't answer the door. But you know, I mean, it's a, it's a great story. It's I mean, I forgot how ridiculous Kirby draws the Watcher. He's this big oh, bald yeah. baby. Yeah. In a in a in a you know, baptism, Paul. It's more like a, a toga, I would think. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I met, that's the Italian Catholic coming at me with the baptism, Paul. Um, but uh, you know, it's 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 a it's such a nonstop high drama story, mm-hmm. and you know, setting the setting the stage for who the Silver Surfer is. You can see that you know, Stan. Stan has this weird feeling about the Silver Surfer that I feel like continues into his Silver Surfer run that that Silver Surfer series. Yeah, um, he that seemed to be one of his favorite characters because he he went he did the Mobius Parable thing. He did that yeah. thing with uh, Burn. Yeah, I mean he, he's yeah. he's this he's this you know he's a he's a poet with this. Um, you know, maybe Stan saw him as someone that was like most like him. He was a he's a he's a, a sensitive. Uh, you know, like, you know, hard on his sleeve poet, you know, being who doesn't know how to express himself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I made, sh- I read this in the, um, the gigantic Behold Galactus collection that just came out uh, a couple months ago, um, because I wanted to experience that giant Kirby art, um, but. You know, it's it's wordy. It's very it's very Stan. Um, I had posted a panel um, I, the other day about uh, you know Surfer at the end of it is you know saying uh, you know I was born to soar to ride the currents of space, not to be a not to be confined within a barren structure, though the pathways to the stars are now denied me. My place is still in the skies above. You know, it's like a 
you know, I felt like, you know, that's Stan saying goodbye to us. But, mm. uh, yeah, still, st- I mean, I probably haven't read it in 20 years. Still, still awesome. Um, you know, all the, all the, the points are there that I remember, you know, Johnny going to get the ultimate nullifier and, you know, Galactus fighting with the surfer and stripping the surfer of his ability to leave earth. And, um, but, you know, I had forgotten about how the part that Alicia plays in this and how she is the one that, you know, uh, talks to the surfer and kind of gets him to, you know, feel for humanity. Um, and, and to to to, to um, rebel against Galactus, but yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it really is. It's it's a shining moment of Jack Kirby art. Um, but the 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 Stan influence is obviously there. Um, but yeah, I read uh, I read that monstrous um, important work. Um, I read it in the uh, Fantastic Four. Uh, on the or I read uh, I read part of it in the Fantastic Four omnibus at work because I had it, I took that to work while I was reading it and then part of it at the, the gigantic Behold Galactus piece but the uh, the the letter pages are included in the omnibus which I'm flipping through now um, and it's just like you know just looking at the letters pages and seeing like we said earlier about, you know, just the, the idea of, of, of community and, and fandom and, um, you know, how that was really fostered by Stan or whoever was the voice of the letters page. Um, but yeah, it's pretty great. Um, there's a, uh, a letter in one of these issues from, uh, George R. R. Martin. Oh, sick. <laughs> nice. <Huh. laughs> I looked it up. I was like, I looked it up. I was like, oh, there's George R. R. Martin, and he would have been 16. Wow, that's awesome. That's crazy. Yeah. So, like, you know, looking at that and thinking, you know, Stan, in some small way, you know, has a a, a hand in Game of Thrones, right? You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Yeah, it, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's. You know, these things are are part of the the our our shared uh, our shared mythology. It's it's the way the human organism works. Yeah, yep. there there are those that are reluctant to believe, but everybody has an influence over everyone else. Yep, and it's it's the more influence you have, the 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 more pervasive your your ideas are, the more people you influence, and it just it's it it just takes it on from there. It's I mean, the, mm-hmm. let's be honest, the same thing can be said about Jack. Absolutely, right? You know, oh sure. Um, so, but I mean, not to short shrift Stan. So let's let's hear what Mister Price has read. We are we already know because he let the cat out of the bag, but I, I want to hear how well you enjoyed it. This, um, back when, like back when, because uh, I'm still not, um, in the, uh, I guess, yeah, it was, it was, it had to be the, um, in the 80, mid 80s, um, when Marvel had their, uh, when Marvel Tales became an Amazing Spider-Man reprint series, um, I would buy Marvel Tales off the rack and there was one particular issue that, that stuck with me um 
it was a it was extra sized, um, I guess triple sized because it had three reprints. It was um, it was Marvel Tales number one ninety one, uh, and it collected uh, Amazing Spider Man ninety six, ninety seven, and ninety eight, which um, at the time were a big deal because it was uh, Stanley basically saying. Uh, flipping the bird to the Comics Code Authority. It was going to be an anti-drug issue, and the Comics Code Authority at the time wasn't down with that. So uh, he published them anyway without the Code's seal of approval. Um, and rereading them for the first time in probably um, a couple of years, actually, you know, more than a couple of years, because there were a couple of issues, there, there was an issue or two in here that's also in the um and this the, the um the Marvel Masterworks collects this as well and there are a couple of issues in the Marvel Masterworks that are in the Death of the Stacys um premier hardcover uh because the death of one of the Stacys is in this Marvel Masterworks as well. But the these three issues I haven't read in quite some time and uh written by Stan Lee. Your art is by Gil Kane and John Romita Sr. And um, there's not... It's... If you think of a drug issue or an anti-drug issue, rather, uh, you might think something along the lines of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow story with Speedy. Uh, This doesn't really... This is mostly Peter... Um, doing what Peter does in this case, being mopey, and he uh, he's pining after Gwen, who fled to London after the death of her father, um, and he is uh, he's he, he's rooming with Harry Osborne, uh, looking for a job, needs something, and uh, Harry mentions his father's company and always looking for, for smart, bright people. Um, and while this is going on, Mary Jane is supposed to be, um, performing. I, I get, I don't know, some strip club or something. She, she, she's got something going <laughs> oh, on. Bro. Glory and, hole. She's at the uh, glory hole, yeah. dude. <laughs> She'll take oh, anything. called for. Um, <laughs> bastard. So, so but when uh, when Peter shows up with, and the gang is all there, um, MJ is all over Peter, and you would think it's because. And now now Harry Talk thinks. About fiction. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you you would think um, because at the time Harry thinks they're an item, and uh, he's not very pleased with MJ's. Um, well, her her. Um, their attitude here and yeah well harry's psychotic let's remember that let's start well, out and this is, this is this this hashtag he's just, facts he's this just is, misunderstood sure i mean and it's i mean let's blame genetics because it's not like dad's all there so the uh now he's going now harry in in, in heading towards a downward spiral he uh he turns to some pills and this was the big uh, anti-drug part yeah. of it, and it, it really 
it's not there wasn't so much aside from Spider-Man saving a a stoned off his ass young dude who thought he could fly um and and Harry not really going through withdrawals there there wasn't anything here that 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 kind of hammered reminded you that drugs are bad kids and it, it that really just took that that whole concept that idea took a backseat to the story which was um Norman Osborn even though Peter knows that Norman is Green Goblin and ever since um their last encounter and Norman has pretty much forgotten that he is the Green Goblin and um during Mary Jane's performance he was um Norman was um his 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 attention was elsewhere and and Peter noticed that so um as Spider-Man he starts following Norman Norman goes back to the um to to the, to the playhouse where the performance was and goes inside and when when Spider-Man gets there that's when Green Goblin reveals himself and so now Green Goblin has returned Green Goblin knows Peter Parker and Spider-Man are the same person and Issue ninety seven um, has the big fight, and um, the you know it, it, as I just I am enjoying Kane's art and and Ramita Senior's inks over him. Um, the uh, the I, I, I love I love sixties and seventies Spidey stories because I love the outfits everybody's wearing. And, and, and these are the stories by and large, maybe, maybe timeless or, or, you know, you can tell them in any, any era with some slight tweaking, but, but the clothes always remind you when these stories were taking place and there's no, no escaping that. And, and yes, of course the dialogue as well, but, but it's definitely, especially what Gil Kane is trying to draw casual 70s attire and and it's just um you know this this these three issues for whatever reason when i when i bought this issue of marvel tales and and there was something about just the way spidey looked and as as stan is is writing the the quips between spidey and and or spidey is saying to to Goblin and the uh, MJ's attitude towards towards everybody, and it's it's just um, there's there was something about, and, and there was there were panels that Kane had drawn that really made Green Goblin extremely menacing to me. To to it, it, there was just something about the angles and and. And the shadows and the eyes, especially when in uh, in issue ninety eight, when all all Peter wants to do, because he he can't he doesn't want to kill his best friend's father, and he can't let his best friend's father tell the world Peter Parker and Spider Man are the same person. So Peter's focus on on bringing Norman back is um is basically forcing him to look at his son and and harry's in a rough spot because he's he's you know 
strung out and, and, and is basically passed out now from taking all the, uh, taking whatever's in this medicine cabinet plus something new that this, uh, pills. This, I mean, this, obviously Stan didn't know anything about drugs. No, he's no. Just like no. pills. He's taking pills. The, the one thing I remember from those issues is Harry staring in the bathroom when, uh, mirror. And he's sweating profusely. Yes, profusely. And he's, oh, you know, that. As a kid, I'm like, why is he all, like, nervous? What the hell's going on? I didn't know what drugs were, you know? And and the the uh, <laughs> the, the day is saved because eventually, now, now Green Goblin um, concocted a formula that, that prevented uh, Spidey from... Uh, sticking to walls, um, but luckily it didn't sap his strength because he ends up um, putting. He ends up getting Green Goblin in a leg lock, so his legs are wrapped around Goblin's neck, and he's steering Goblin to the hospital. And um, and they finally find Harry's room, and 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 there's they're, they're just gliding outside the window, and. Um, Green Goblin is just he's is the the Norman persona finally breaks through and uh, and passes out. So so Spidey gets the same day, and um, while he's still thinking about you know any good that he's done, he's still of course missing Gwen, and um, and that's who on the last page we see returns from London and um, and they embrace and and, and we finally get. A um, a happy ending for for Spider Man before we get to um, issue ninety nine and Panic in the Prison. But these 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 three issues, man, there's just something I I I would I don't know, man. It it is I I remember the cover of that Marvel Tales and and it just I because you got three whole comics in those and and it was just I I read the hell out of it and. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously Stan wasn't going to be the one writing the Teen Titans issue with the protector, but at least he, he, he tried something, but it was for me, it wasn't, it wasn't really the drugs. It was just, it was Spider-Man versus Green Goblin. And, and that's, that's what just made these, uh, these issues that, that much special to me. You know, I didn't even notice that the comics code seal wasn't on those issues it's not something i paid attention to oh really okay yeah, yeah and and as, as david alluded that that was a huge deal because it, it that led to the that there, those issues directly led to the comics code loosening its standards yeah yeah well i think it was the scene where mary jane blows everybody that <laughs> uh that I think you're confusing a gwen, a gwen issue with an MJ. <laughs> no it's not a gwen issue <laughs> Gwen would be like, you filthy bitch. So the government asked Dan to write that issue, right? That's the story? Or asked him to write something about drug addiction? Like the Department was of Health. Was it the government? Or was, oh, Department okay. of Health and Wellness the came government? to him. Yeah, the Department of Health and Wellness came to him, I think, is the story, and said, uh. or this is the story Stan tells. The uh, Department of Health and Wellness came and said, hey, we noticed how popular Spider-Man is with the kiddos. Can you put something in there about drug addiction and he mm. came up with that idea of the story i mean not the last time spider-man would serve as a public service announcer for yeah. uh, a critical um 
you know, cause. I mean, there's been many Spider-Man issues where Spider-Man, you know, lost children and, and more drug issues and bullying and stuff. And, and so you can. And, and, and yes, as as Jason said, it, it the comics code did loosen their, their grip on things because um, that same year in 1971, the uh, Green Lantern, Green Arrow numbers 85 and 86, when they were published, they did have the uh, mm-hmm. the comics code seal on the cover. Hi, guys. Uh, this is Jefferson. Hey, uh, I don't have any great insight into Stanley, And, you know, as much as I am a fanatic admirer of Jack Kirby, um, Stan's fingerprints are all over my childhood. I mean, he's weaved into my childhood life. I mean... I mean, I, he's, he's part of the reason that I love comics. He's part of the reason that I love Marvel so much. It's amazing that something or someone can affect you so emotionally and you've never ever met them before. But I'm feeling like really sad today. So thanks for letting us get this opportunity to get our feelings out. So, you know, rest in peace, Dan. Thanks. I'm so grateful. Bye. I think it's funny whenever someone, whenever we get into a discussion about the Comics Code, if they wanted to, they could have said, fuck you to the Comics Code completely. <laughs> yeah, oh, sure. It was just like this non-entity, this self-policing body that wasn't really a body. It was just a, a stamp that they put on yeah. them. Somebody just said, okay, it, it was a slug that the graphics department put on every issue. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure there was not someone in an office saying, oh, this panel does not conform to the comics code. We must remove it. It, it was just a right. thing that they always did. So for them not to do it really wasn't a big thing, but I guess it, it maybe it, it it was perceived as a big thing because the status quo was being shifted. But um, do we even need? Do we even have the comics code now? I mean, no. it, it's it's no. not. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not on Marvel comics, and it hasn't no. been for a long time. Whenever we see it now, it's used in parody form. So it, it, it's old hat, but right. um, it, it was a non-entity to begin with. I think the only time it ever mattered was during the the Wortham days when they had to, you know, walk in step and pretend to be uh, on the up and up. And then after a while, they just, well, whatever. Yep. Yeah. This was nice. I think, I think, I think we needed this, um, some more than others, but there's no denying the fact that Stan, as Jason had so eloquently said, Stan has pretty much affected all of us in some manner. Mm-hmm. Whatever your stance on the man, there's no denying that he has made an impact on us and um, he will be missed. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Business as usual. Let's talk about the comics now. <laughs> we just talked about the comics, man. We got, I got more comics to talk about. Oh, I'm sure you do. You're going to talk about Ravage 2099 now, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> that's you know that's the trump card when everybody says, "Oh, Stan wrote all that shit." I said, "You just look at all the stuff that Jack did 
after the partnership and look at all the stuff Stan did. What Stan's claim to fame? <laughs> Ravage 2099. In other words, Grimjack, right? Yo, Cinderella, yeah. son. Ah, oh, come mm. on. But he didn't have to write anymore. The dude was smart. He was he was the ambassador. He didn't it's have to do enough. it. Yeah. Uh, I in in uh preparation for this week I did read the uh the Stanley Meets issues. <laughs> oh no. Oh, oh the Doctor yeah. Doom one is horrible. Dude, they're so awful. They are. Yeah, they are. They're really yeah. bad. And what's crazy is it's like it's just Stan putting himself in comics <laughs> bragging about how awesome he is. <laughs> I completely it's forgot so those exist. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah like Stanley the... meets Spider-Man. Yes, and and, yes. And, he, and they got and it's uh it's like they got the best creators possible. Like Olivia yeah. Quapel drew the Stanley meets Spider-Man. And then I guess there were backups written by someone else in each of the issues. And the Stanley meets Spider-Man backup was written by Joss Whedon. Yeah. (laughs) It's fucking crazy, dude, with Michael Gatos on art. It's baffling. All right, so two strikes. Two strikes? Yeah, Whedon and Gatos? No. No, 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 no. Wait, you're not a Whedon fan? Hell no. Wow. Wow. No, he did that Exile shit, didn't he? No. That was Winnick. Oh, yeah. Winnick, Joss Whedon, Whedon, okay. Joss Whedon's Buffy, bro. Gotcha. Well, well, then, okay, I stand by what I said. No, you don't. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, Anyhow. most rational people, Joss Whedon doing a backup in an issue like that is a stunning bit of trivia. Stunning. And if I remember correctly, the Stanley Meets Doctor Doom was drawn by Salvador La Roca. Yes. I don't have that issue handy, but I'm pretty sure. There you go. Yep. As you said, the big guns. The big guns. Yep. So Let's what else? Stanley means Doctor Doom, written by. Where are the credits? I don't see the credits. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. No credits. And see. Stanley did it all, man. All of it. He did it all. Yeah. All of them. But I want to talk about some other stuff. Oh, written by uh, Stan Lee and Jeff Loeb, art with Salvador LaRocca and Ed McGuinness. Mm, A.K.A. written by Jeff Loeb. No, no, no. There were backup stories. Oh, okay. Each issue had a backup story, so Loeb McGuinness did the backup story. Nice. Yeah. There is a hardcover of the Stan Lee meets. Who knew? <laughs> oh, yeah, there is. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think a patron has my issues. Okay. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, you're generous. Sure Talk fine. about it. I don't care package. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what a dick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, come on. Like, like I, I want to talk about Murder Falcon. Speak on it, dude. Murder Falcon. I finally got to read the actual. Oh, it's about time. I mean, Dev yeah. and I've already he only, it, yeah. like, but... he, he only gave us the the, the preview PDFs. Like, I I cool. wanted to read it in hand paper. Yeah, because he didn't want to know your thoughts when you know. As it should have been read. Written, illustrated, and lettered by Daniel Warren Johnson, as if he didn't already know. Colored by Mike Spicer. It's an image skybound thing. In another dimension, you got this dude, this big bad named Magnum Chaos. And if that isn't enough to get you to read this, I don't know what is. The the it's the King of Fear. Right? He, he's looking for nothing short of total enslavement 
of the human race. How's he going to do this? Okay, he's fueled by negative energy. Chaos is sending these massive rampaging monsters to our dimension, and they're called the Veldar, by the way. Um, and they terrorize, they, they destroy, they, they murder, they, they kill. Their very presence is generating all the dark stuff that um, Magnum Chaos thrives on. It makes him stronger, right? So how do you combat this? How do you combat a guy that's shooting these monsters into your dimension and the stuff that the monsters are doing only makes him stronger? Well, enter Jake. Jake is a slightly overrate um, dude who's currently wrapped in a blanket of funk and not the George Clinton kind. Jake's in kind of a downward spiral. His wife dies from cancer. His band of some renown, the uh, the band's called Bruticus, parted ways not long after Jake had this dark slide into seclusion. He got pissed off one time. They're playing, they're practicing, and he busted his guitar. He's like, "Fuck this, I'm done." Um, until one of the the Veldar manifests itself in Jake's little apartment. And so you got this huge monster in your apartment. What do you do? You grab the, the neck of your broken guitar and he was planning to to beat the, the creature with the neck. But instead, this blinding flash of light, what do you get? You get Murder Falcon. It seems that Jake is linked to this Murder Falcon and the power of metal makes the Murder Falcon stronger and more able to fight, and he beats the shit out of the Veldar, and thus begins the uh, the opposition, let's speak, uh, the opposition to um, Magnum Chaos. See, Murder Falcon is fueled by the, the, the goodness of music and metal and all the, all the great things in the world. Like Frank Zappa said, music is the best, and it makes Murder Falcon stronger, but Magnum Chaos thrives on the negative shit. It's a great setup, right? But I don't think we need to, to preach the, the, to praise Daniel Warren Johnson anything any more than we already have, right? The dude is incredible, and this issue is 100% total energy. Am I lying? You is not lying. No, no. just the, the, the way he approaches it and the fact that the sound vibrations make this murder falcon stronger. Like, that's the story of the universe, right? In the beginning, there was the word, and the word is sound, and sound makes everything. It's perfect. And uh, the uh, again, Johnson has the manga. He wears it on his sleeve, his love. Um, there are signature moves that the Murder Falcon has that is nothing short of Street Fighter. Um, the uh, cyber tech that he injects into the book. I mean, Johnson loves manga. And you, you can tell by this thing. But pound for pound, I don't know. If, if Daniel keeps cranking out books on a monthly basis, he's going to jump up above Paul Pope in my love list. I can see it happening. Because what do we get from Paul Pope? Not a whole lot, right? And I love Pope, but... I John, mean, I th- I'm, thinking, I'm thinking Johnson's got the edge on Mr. Pope. In in terms of sheer volume, it's it's just as good, and there's a lot more. You've of always it. been a quantity or quality I think, guy. I think no, that, as yeah, you said, I, why there's a lot more, and it's just as good. 
What's the alcohol content on this beer? Seven. Seven point five. Okay. But I see it. I love Daniel. I. I oh, I'm sure you've seen a lot of things. No, I. I mean, we we've seen it firsthand. Look at the joy, Daniel. On the joy on his face when he sits there at the table and he's drawing something for somebody, and you just look at him. This is a guy that loves what he does, and he loves metal. He's a he's a guitar player. We've you've seen the videos, and he's just taking everything he loves. He's throwing it in this murder murder falcon, and I'm just digging it. I think it's super. That's all I wanted to say. I finally got around to reading it. It is the bomb. Oh boy. It's the bomb. Look at you. All grown's up, right? Shush. <laughs> and if anybody wants to know what Jason thought about it, you can go back and listen to like episode 482 or something. Yeah, what? I was going to say, I read issue two like two months ago, so I'm, <laughs> I forget exactly what I said, but I liked it. Some of us get our books once a month. Bro, you got these Dude. issues yeah, he, provided he, he, to you he, to, yeah. from Daniel directly. Yeah. I know, but I'm not like, down we, with the PDF. As we said on the show many times, we are fortunate to get all image comics from image directly daniel sent these to us like before image even had them to send out incredibly generous right yes still digital i don't want to read them that way okay purist yeah because you don't read digital comics right never never (laughs) dude you have 87 terabytes of digital comics in your possession (laughs) Y'all could be like Mary Jane just computers at your house full of comics. <laughs> yeah, because Mary Jane's the one that got impregnated by Spidey's arch nemesis. Like that, that that never happened. That was Straczynski. Like a skeezer. Never happened. I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So come on, let's keep it rolling. We're having fun. What else are you yeah. reading, Jason? Well, you know, I, I I almost feel like bringing this up now is is a He's not doing it justice because so much of this episode was focused on Stan, and I think this this issue deserves a, a more prominent place in the spotlight. Um, so I'm just going to say everyone needs to make sure you read Mister Miracle Number Twelve, so we can discuss it next week because it's uh, <laughs> oh boy, it, <laughs> he he admits stuck the landing hard, hard. It, it's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Um, but something I will talk about because um, I don't have to worry about my booze uh, being behind on it or or what have you is uh, east of west, east of west. Um, we're nearing the end of the book uh, and soon approaching the TV show, which is going to be awesome. But um, I caught up. I was nine issues behind. So I read up through the current issue of issue number 39. And as you might imagine, since we're getting near the end, things are coming to a head. All of the nation states are have made their moves on the chessboard. Uh, the winners and the losers are starting to become evident. Uh, we're near the end game. Um, we are at the point where Babylon is is either going to need to grow up or um yeah no i'll just leave it at that i think i think he's he's continued to live under this this veil of um of illusion provided by balloon and his dad death just comes to realize after spending some time with him that his son is not seeing the world for what it was which is a little bit of a suspect 
thing because, you know, if you're death, if you're like death incarnate and this is your kid and your kid's all good natured and he's got his eyes covered by this um, automated balloon intelligence, you might think that there's something going on there in terms of like how he's perceiving the world. But either way, um, but my favorite thing without getting into spoilers and because I'll I'll give this a, a, a full on love letter once it wraps up in a few issues um, is that credit to Hickman because we knew from the start that this was going to be this major epic, but what we didn't know, and I think he deserves a ton of credit for, is that the power players weren't going to be the ones we thought were the power players at the start. You know, I think at the start we assumed this is going to be all about the other three members of the apocalypse, um, the horsemen of the apocalypse, facing off against Death and Crow and uh and their cohorts and um it's just not what this is turning out to be it's turning out to be that that many of the the b players at the start made their moves and now they're the ones that are going to solve or settle everything and i also say the third in issues in it's super cool that we have no idea whether the apocalypse is going to happen or not we don't know we know one side's trying for it to happen one side's trying for it not to happen but we don't know what's going to happen so, um, and I hope I don't have to say how awesome Dragata is, but Dragata is freaking awesome. Every page makes me weep with joy and also lament that he does everything digitally. So I can't own these pages, but, uh, but yeah, so, um, we're about seven trades in now. Maybe we're into the eighth. I don't really keep track in that regard, but I do buy the trades and the issues. Um, but uh, yeah, but we're 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 coming to a head, and the body the body count's starting to pile up. Because if you're a winner, you're you're you're. It's like Game of Thrones. If you're if you're a winner, you're still fighting for your position. If you're a loser, you're probably dead because you made your play and it didn't work. So body counts rising, the protagonists are dwindling. It's 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 pretty lit. It's pretty lit. I I don't think I know my booze don't read this. Do you read this, Mario? I have uh, I read it in issues probably for the first six or twelve maybe, and then I stopped and I just transitioned over to the giant hardcovers. Oh, nice, yeah. So I'm just reading it that way. So there's only been two of those so far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the third one should be coming ASAP because that'll be the yeah. that'll be issues through thirty six. I think. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. And what issue was this you just read? Third. Uh, well, this is I read I read issues thirty one through thirty nine. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, but I enjoy. I mean, I've enjoyed what I've read. I've just, I'm just trying. I just like that format a lot. So I'm sure, I, sure, I'm reading it in that way. Mm-hmm. And Hickman's kind of uh, inconsistent on timing. So <laughs> that is putting it mildly. All right, what else we got, people? Uh, I can talk about a little bit about. Uh, I just read the, um. What do I want to talk about here? I don't. Does anybody did Does anybody want to talk about Uncanny X Men number one? It came out today. I haven't read it yet. Okay, and, I won't yeah. talk about that then. Um, did you care for it? I did care for it. Oh, good. And uh, on and you know, like truth, this is the probably the first Uncanny X Men issue I have read since like. Uh, when they introduced Generation X, like I mean, what? it's been it's been that oh now gosh. not not an X Men comic, but an uncanny X Men comic. Wow. Okay. Right. 
So like I was I, I, I was thinking about it today and I read that issue and I thought, I wonder what the last Uncanny X Men I read was. Like just like, you know, titled yeah. as Uncanny X Men. And I looked back and I was like, No, none of the twenty twelve none of the twenty sixteen series, none of the twenty thirteen series, none of the twenty twelve and I just kept going backwards. And then I got to that original the original run and I know that I stopped reading X Men then around the time that Generation X was introduced. Damn. Um, no, I mean, of course, I've read plenty of X Men since then, just not the, you know, title of Uncanny mm-hmm. X. Um, but yeah, I totally enjoyed it, um, cool. and uh, I think you probably will too. But let's. Uh, I just read this week. I read. Um, I got caught up on uh, the Jason Aaron Thor series, the new, the that new nice. run. Um, and I just read issue six, which I really, issue seven came out today, I think, so I haven't read that yet. But issue six, I just read, and I really enjoy what he is doing with, um, he's still telling these stories with, uh, you know, the different time periods, right? So issue six was, you know, the, uh, the far future, like the, uh, the all father Thor, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh it's it's i don't know if you guys are reading this still but like the it's the issue like you know doom shows up and doom shows up in this far future after being being alive for whatever however millennia it's been and doom has you know he's basically gone around and taken a bunch of power from people he has the power of uh, Iron Fist, and he has the Star Brand, and he is the Sorcerer Supreme because he has Doctor Strange power, and he is Ghost. He has the Ghost Rider power. His you know his head's on fire, um, and it's a really, really, I think it's a really, really great issue, um, written by Aaron and Christian Ward is the guest artist, while uh, I guess Del Mundo's taking a break. Um, and I think it's some of the best Christian Ward has looked recently. Um, but, you know, it's just it's it's all Father Thor versus, uh, you know, super powerful Doom. And, uh, you know, Logan's still alive. He shows up and Logan in the in this far, far future is not just he's not just Wolverine. He also has the Phoenix power. You know what I mean? He the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the host for the Phoenix. Um, and you know, it's pretty much their, uh, them going up against, uh, doom. And, you know, when I said earlier, I was, I was trying to remember, um, I was talking about the monsters, uh, we're talking about Zim new and stuff showing up. And this was the comic I was trying to think of was, uh, because with, with doom, doom has as his, uh, as his army with him, he has, Goom and Gorgilla and Monster Thing Fang Foom. They're all fighting on behalf of Doom. So all these old Marvel monsters are showing up and fighting for Doom. Um But you know, it's just it's it's a it's a it's a it's a fun, like one off issue, far future, all father Thor, um which uh, you know, ends with a uh, uh kind of a tease of what's to come. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a return to, I don't even know how long Aaron's been writing this, but, uh, basically it kind of ends with, uh, you know, the God butcher is back, you know, but you know, mm-hmm. in, in the far future, right. Um, 
with with all father thor but uh i mean aaron's got to be in brighton has it been like five or six years now probably oh, yeah oh sure because it started it started out like even before jane it started out with that you know with the god butcher stuff yeah yeah uh, and that's that's got to be at least five or six years now i would oh, think. at least yeah um, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed this issue. Um, I'm really enjoying what Aaron is doing with Thor. Still, I still love what he's doing with Thor. Now that we have, uh, you know, Odinson back and Jane's been Jane's Jane's tenure as the uh, the God of Thunder is over. I think it's still it's still firing on all on all fronts, and um, I really am enjoying it. So yeah, Thor, Thor number six. Ooh. Hey guys, it's Chris. Talking about Stan, it's it's what a well life lived. And um you know, hats off to the man. I know there's a lot of uh thoughts and beliefs and feelings out there about what he did or didn't do. But uh I just think back to uh to like ten year old Chris and watching Spider Man and his amazing friends and Stan was one of those first voices that uh, that impacted me and uh, kind of took me to to new and different places. And I will always, when I when I think of him, think of that voice and uh, a mighty Excelsior. So love you guys, miss you guys, and uh, rest in peace, Stan. Bye, David. Okay, um, I. There was a um, uh, a new. I decided to give this a shot because our boy Mark Laming is drawing it, um, uh-huh. and it is written by Greg Pak, and it features a character that I can be fond of at times. And this is the new first issue of James Bond 007 by Dynamite. And You're a stronger man than me. Say what? You're a stronger man than me. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's enough here that, that um, well, the, the creators are definitely what, what drew me in, but I'm not sure if, um, if I'm going to stick with it. I'll probably give it another issue or two, but it's... It's a um, without reading the solicits for it. Um, it looks as though uh, James Bond meets a young odd job, and the um, who is also a spy or a secret agent. Um, but Mark's Mark's art was uh, is definitely on point here. I have no problem with um, the way anybody looks. The action sequences play out pretty nicely. Um, but yeah, it's just and and it it the entire issue is weird. the The entire first issue kind of felt to me like the segment of a Bond movie before you get the credits and theme song. So it was, so this didn't necessarily feel like the first chapter of a longer or larger story. It just felt like a bond little action sequence 
at the beginning of the movie for a few minutes and uh, the the little conversation he has with Money Penny is almost what would happen after the credits and then we might get to the rest of the movie. So it, it just it the, the pacing wasn't um, didn't knock me on my rear, but I think the uh, the setup is there. But it, it's it should be a pretty interesting story. I haven't read any of the um, the Dynamite Bond stuff, Bond stuff in a while, not since uh, the first couple issues of the um, the Ellis series that that kicked Nonsense. off the return. I know, and, and that's why I couldn't finish it because it just it was no bueno. But um, yeah, I, I just the the last Bond issue was the one shot that um, Abraham wrote and drew, which was really solid. Um, but knowing Mark and uh, and considering you know I've been. I, I only have the first issue of that John Wick comic. It's like, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to read something from Dynamite, so I know that there are other publishers out there, but um, they're not really making it very easy for me. I know Vince has all the Vampirella stuff, so he's got them covered there. Vampirella uh, and... And the Barbarella stuff, yeah. Uh, and the the other thing that, um, that I read that I enjoyed, and, well, I... I, I I don't remember if I mentioned High Heaven number two last week, but yeah, that was, um, yeah. So there was just I, I was just I'm, I'm still just trying to play catch up on a few things, and I did read something that I really enjoyed that I'll probably wait for next week, or if we ever get uh, this writer on the show to talk about. But uh, um, yeah, there were uh, there were a couple of things that I want to kind of talk about, but not. I mean, not. At, at at this late in the hour, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's it was weird because there, there were a couple things that I had set up to read, and then of course we got the news so that uh, that 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 changed directions a bit. But yeah, I, I'm I just I'm I want to read today's um, Mr. Miracle number twelve on Kings mm. and number one. So there are there are a couple things and and um, no, number eight. Of course, <laughs> and and uh, Morbius, Vince. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so yeah, Morbius. Vince. Yeah, I love Morbius. Who doesn't? Right? Hey, everybody. Hey, thanks for. He's going to have his own movie. Yes, I'll probably see that one before I see Venom. <laughs> no, I, I, that was fun. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, it was it was no great cinema verite but you know it's fine it's made more money than uh, a lot of the other movies come on say it it's made more money than justice league it, that's what i was gonna say <laughs> i didn't want to piss off people but I, I you don't want to piss off both of them justice league all those characters together and venom beat them <laughs> daryl's like fuck it daryl just just clicked clicked off the podcast he's like yep. i'm done fuck you guys Hey, everybody. Thank you for being here with us. If you want to get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your door. Where do you go? Discount Comic Book Service. DCBService.com. Got everything you want for a fraction of the price, such as from Image. It's the Jesus Freak hardcover for eight ninety nine. Dynamite is serving up Turok for $1.99. And Dark Horse has Weird, number one, for $1.99. DCBService.com. In your travels, I read this 
for Jason and Jason Alone. Oh. Yes. It is published by American Mythology. Ooh. Written by oh, no. <laughs> Written by David Avalone. Illustrated by Roy Allen Martinez. Color art by Emmanuel Ordaz Torres. It is called Zorro, the swords. Oh, bro. <laughs> Come on. Zorro, Zorro <laughs> the swords of hell, number one. That was about right. Stop. Um, it takes place shortly before the Mexican-American War. Los Angeles is still known as El Pueblo de Nuestra Señora La Reina de Los Angeles. Um, it's still part of the Spanish Empire. You have the Hacienda of Don Alejandro de la Vega. And who else is there? His son, Don Diego de la Vega, and his beautiful wife, Lolita. Something's going on with the La Brea Tar Pits. As in, there are nasty shit crawling out of them in the form of these armored skeletal warriors. And they bear down on the uh, De La Vega Hacienda and they start chopping up people. And naturally, um, Don Diego and his wife, Lolita, they... They're they're fighters, man. They're good with the rapier, and they they start chopping people up. But they're they're quickly overwhelmed by these forces. Um, and uh, Lolita is definitely modeled after Catherine Zeta Jones, which is not a bad thing, right? So um, they get Lolita in a position where she's willing to fight. She's willing to, to cut some of these. Uh, unholy beings down and they tell her uh, she's got the sword out and it's to the throat of the one guy and she's, she said you know I can cut you all up and he said yeah but uh, how many of these innocents are you going to lose in the process so she's stuck and um, basically Zorro has abandoned uh, the uh, persona of the fox for uh, another life and during the skirmish, he, the, they're split up. Lolita and um, the the patriarch of the uh, De La Vega clan is uh, taken away to another location. And you have this Padre Mendoza. And he's like, you know, the people need a symbol. They, they need that strength. And they, they found the strength in the Mask of Zorro. And you need to put it back on. And so Don Diego eventually puts on the uh, the black and he starts chopping up these unholy creatures. But he is greeted at the end by something even more menacing. And uh, I thought this issue was great. Um, I'm a sucker for Zorro. And uh, this the, the visuals by uh, Roy Allen Martinez are many, many notches above what you will find in a Dynamite comic. So... Take that as you will. Zorro, number one, the Swords of Hell from American Mythology. I thought it was wonderful. Scratched every kind of pulpy itch that I have. And Jason will borrow my copy and love it. I just bought it on Comicsology. I'm going to read the hell out of it. <laughs> there you go. Uh, in your travels, uh, if only for one awesome page um 
Star Trek versus Transformers number two, where you get to see Spock mind meld with Optimus Prime. Oh. Huh. My pants just got tighter. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah, it's um it still looks just like the old filmation cartoon, but um yeah, that's that's really all I have to say about it right now, because I haven't finished the issue yet, but that's what I got for you this week. I saw a cover of a future issue where Kirk is is uh, on the ground. Looks like he's in trouble and bearing down on him is Soundwave. Like, how, does it get any better than that? Seriously, I know. I got to start reading this. So the the tra- the IDW Transformer comics are kind of in limbo now, right? Well, soon uh, Unicron number six just came out today, I believe. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. But I saw somewhere, and I don't know if it's if it's true, but I saw somewhere, like there's nothing nothing new has been solicited. So one, like, no, not true. One oh. thing, one thing new has been solicited. What, and that it, that like chronology thing. Yes, or whatever? yes, the historia, right? Yeah. So, but like, I saw somebody. I'd asked. I'd asked at some point, like, what's going on with IDW Transformer Comics. And someone had responded they were at a panel, maybe at New York Comic Con or something, and that IDW had said Hasbro hasn't decided what they like the you know, basically the direction they want to go with the Transformers comics, which is why there's no Transformers comics being solicited currently. Um which is surprising considering that like so the IDW is just hanging on to the to the license while Hasbro is figuring it out, and then if that's the case, like Hasbro figures it out, and then you still have to have lead time to get, you know what I mean, to get like. Right. I imagine we won't have a new Transformers comic for at least six months from this point. Right. Well, if you look in the current previews, aside from the Star Trek Transformers, there's nothing. Right. They're they're, yeah. they're offering the last trades, right. of, of Optimus Prime and Lost Light, but other than that. Nothing. I need me Transformers comics. Right? I need them. I'm telling you. Got to say, the new movie kind of looked all right when I saw the preview. The oh, Bumblebee? Yeah. Oh, Bumblebee. But if you throw G1 characters in there. That's the thing. Right. They're, they're, yeah. they're bringing us back with the G1. I guarantee you, though, that what you see in the trailer is all you're going to see in the movie, though. Like, they're, try- they're trying to get us with that. They're, like, showing, oh, like... Oh, you think you know, so? Yeah, I think that what we're going to... what we. It's going to be very, very limited what you see of that. Of that. So, all right. Doesn't Wait make a hater, dude. Doesn't make a damn bit of sense. <laughs> I would uh, say uh, in mm-hmm. your travels to read um, Avengers number seven hundred, which came out today, which is also Avengers number ten. If you're into that kind of numbering. Um. I read that today. I will I will stay vague since it just came out today, but uh, written by Jason Aaron, um, art by David Marquez and Ed McGinnis, uh, backup stories by art with backup stories, uh, Fraser Irving does a pretty awesome uh, Ghost Rider backup, uh, Adam Kubert does a backup, and Andrea Sorrentino. But this is uh, the continuation of... The main story is the continuation of the uh, Defenders of the Deep uh, storyline with Namor all butthurt about everything, as he always is. 
Um, and he's got, you know, uh, man from the water. Yeah, exactly. He's got man of war and tiger shark and orca and all those people, you know, working for him all pissed off. Um, but this, you know, it's, it's the continuation of that story. It's, 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 it's high Avengers action. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they're in, uh, they get, they get assistance from, uh, the winter guard. There's enough Russians in this to give our current president a chubby. Um, uh, <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. It has a, the, the main story has a, a pretty awesome ending, uh, of what, to, what's to come. Um, but the thing that got me super excited was one of the backups. I think it was the yeah. It's the last backup of the story, of the of the issue, and it's a uh, it's a wasp, uh, like three page story of her taking care of some business in Romania. Um, but it ends with her uh, finding someone in a uh, a cellar chained up, and saying. Uh, Hey, how would you like to join the Avengers? And uh, uh, this uh, Daywalker says, "Let me get my swords." Um, so I'm pretty excited about that because I am I am a Blade fan. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, go 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 get yourself a copy of uh, Avengers 700. It's not the I'm I'm surprised it's not the. Um, that they aren't changing the numbering with this num, you know what I mean? Like with this this number, uh, it's just the number in the in the corner box is still ten, and then just a little bit on the on the cover it says, um, you know, heroic seventh seven hundred issue. But uh, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, seven hundred issues with whatever kind of weird math Marvel is doing. Um, but yeah, seven hundred issues of Avengers, um, a series that you know. Stan had a big hand in. No doubt. Yeah. Helped turn a lot, a lot of uh, those early characters' commercial flops into successes. Right, yeah. You know? The Hulk and Iron Man were flops out the gate, but put them in a team book and voila. Right, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <clears throat> in your travels, sticking with the Marvel love, uh, written by Kelly Thompson with art by... Stefano Caselli. It is issue number three of West Coast Avengers. I must uh, acknowledge that when this was solicited, I mocked the ever-loving shit out of it, and um, and and I I have to apologize to the entire team because three issues in, it is an absolute ball, and it is filling the void I had after uh, Jimmy and Amanda left Harley Quinn. In that uh, this is the fun, fun slash funny superhero book that I love to have in the mix. Really? And yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah it's I think Kelly stuff. Thompson is a terrific writer. Um, I think she's got a great handle with teams and the dynamic. And this team is just the right mix of classic and quirky. You've got both Hawkeyes. You've got, um, and I presume he's not going to be around for long. Um, you've got Kate's boyfriend, who's a new hero by the name of Fuse. You've got Gwenpool. You've got Quentin Choir. Um, we're probably going to have Tiger here in a minute because she's been one of the antagonists so far, but she's been mind controlled. Um, 
and you've got America Chavez. So uh, it's it's again it's it's a quirky group, but I think the characterizations have been great. I think Kelly has done a good job of establishing that most of these characters know each other and like each other on a personal level. Um, it's just been over the top. Comics should be ridiculous. I mentioned when the first issue came out, they were fighting a bunch of uh, bipedal uh, great white sharks that were coming onto the uh, onto the pier. In in the last two issues, they have been fighting gigantic two hundred foot um, super powered women, Tiger being one of them. But this issue, we're introduced to four more, and they are being led by Brodock, who is a good looking version of Modok. He is a <laughs> Modok has has recast himself into a good looking person, so that in the hopes that 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 would finally lead people to accept him, because they always didn't accept him because he looked so goofy. Um, so you've got Brodock and a bunch of 200 foot, uh, gigantor women fighting against this quirky team of heroes. Uh, so it's just a blast. It's, it's just, a, it's, it's sight gags and, and Caselli and Thompson seem to be on the same page in terms of, uh, putting the right bit of humor into the, into the cartooning to match the tone of the book. Uh, it's, it's been great. It's been the surprise of the last few months for me because, um, you know, again, I, I mocked it when it was solicited and cause I, I've never been a big fan of the Gwenpool character. Um, can't say I've ever been a huge Quentin Quire fan particularly either, but, but so far so good, man. Like credit to Kelly for making me care about a bunch of characters. I didn't think I did. Sweet. Yeah. I guess I need to read that. It's yes. fun. It's a lot of fun. I believe Titillating. You. I believe mm-hmm. you. Hey, guys. It's Raf. First time in a long time. Uh, just want to call about the death of Stan. And, uh, you know, I know a bunch of us like to give him crap for what, you know, he did to, to Ditko and Kirby and everyone. But despite the fact that he didn't give him all the credit that they probably deserve, Stan did contribute to the history of the Marvel Universe and the greater tapestry that we all enjoy now, not only in comics, but in cartoons, TV, film. I mean, Stan's life is it's tremendous. I mean, how can you, how can, he's, he's literally a modern day pop culture god. There is no other way to put it. And part of it is his own design. He put himself out there to be, to be deified by the nerdy masses. And so, I mean, I guess, this is all to say, you know, uh, thank you to Stan and thank you to all his contributors, of course, and that he'll be remembered well. Um, that uh, I think one of my, my biggest regrets is always not meeting all of, all of the legendary creators that have come through. But you know, I'm a little younger on the younger side, so I mean, Kirby passed when I was a kid. Steve Schuster passed when I, kid, when I was a kid. Never really could afford Stan by the time I was going to cons because he was one of those like $150 VIP tickets, but. You know, it's nice. It, it, it's nice to have been in the same building with him. You know, like it's just it's nice to to enjoy the 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 characters that he's created and helped to create over the years. And it's it's uh, it's incredible to think that uh, that he he went this long. I mean, ninety five years is a long time, and it, you know his his mortal life doesn't matter. His his characters will live on forever. And that really is his legacy, is all all those characters that he created with with everyone else at in, uh, Marvel back in the 60s. So, rest well, Stan. You've, you've earned it. And um, 
Yeah, good to talk. Good to call in again, guys. Maybe I'll try to contribute some more. All right, thanks. Mr. Price, why don't you give them the lowdown of what our final book of the month winner was? Yes, indeed. Yes, and if you'd like to see what all this is about, all you need to do is go to patreon.com forward slash 110-C-L-O-C-K-C-O-M-I-C-S and, you know, the whole deal. And you will you will see all the fun we are just throwing down on the Patreon each and every damn day. Each. So much of the funds and yep. every. Uh, so your 11 choices uh, this month. Providing the page decides to load. Because <laughs> um, the Patreon is nothing if not zippy. Seriously, bro. Yeah. All right. November's book of the month. I loved how close this was this month. Um, so close you changed one of the votes. No, I didn't. Somebody did. No, someone constantly would pick one. <laughs> and someone would always go back and, and fuck around and, and select something else. So. I wonder who that was. It's amazing. Uh, you have, let's see, number one. Oh, your first. Okay. In alphabetical order. The Goon, volume one, Nothing But Misery. Green Arrow, The Archer's Quest. Grimjack. Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 5. Planetary, Volume 2, The Fourth Man. Point Blank, The Question, Volume 2. Super- <laughs> Spider-Man, The Death of Gene Wolf. Superman, The Man of Steel, Volume 2. Will Eisner's The Spirit, The New Adventures. And X-Factor, Volume 1, The Longest Night. And your winner, just eking out a victory with 26% of the votes is the goon volume one nothing but misery wow that's cool never read the goon i'm excited about this one you will read that yeah i and and we will probably read it we'll discuss it on the november 29th episode so yes uh get it so you can read it while you're waiting online on Black Friday, and we'll discuss it a week later. It's going to be fun. It should be fun. I hope it's so much fun. You guys want to do uh, the other publishers as a bonus app on Sunday the 25th? Sure, why the hell not? I mean, I'm up for it. I'll be back from Florida, and Oh, you can do it without me. I mean, that's fine too. Hell no, we can't. Yeah, because it's your idea. We're gonna do it without you. Yeah, that's not fun. Give them a little something to wet their whistle. Yeah. Spoilers. I I, it's it, for if people because I don't think I'm gonna be on next week. So. Wait, what? I dude, told you that already. Yeah. I'm in Florida, dude. Yeah. Not everybody records while they're actually you know away on vacation. <laughs> well, professionals family. do. You know, Florida we're Thanksgiving. Not, not These fly by night guys that don't care. They I just know. whatever. Totally. That's me. Whew. Ten years of uh flying intermittent by participation. Fly- right. <laughs> well, flying by <laughs> nighting. <laughs> <laughs> oh everybody. Hey, we had a great time be uh the topic regardless. 
Uh, it is a sad time, but we enjoyed each other's company and we tried to make it better. And we hope we made it a little bit better for you. Please come back next week. We'll be waiting here for you with a beverage and a sandwich. Um, in the meantime, if you'd like to check us out, come to the Facebook page. We're always there and it's hopping and fun and positive and all the stuff you want that's not normally on the Facebooks. We have it. Uh, we're on the Twitter, the Patreon thing that I gave you the link a little bit before. And in the meantime, you know the drill. Say goodnight. <laughs> Chip, 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 chip. Chip, chip. Skeet, skeet, skeet. David. Ooh, that's a long. That's yes. Good night. <laughs> yeah, not a chance. Skeet, skeet, skeet. David. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You did good. I tried, man. You do. Must be, the new dig- must be the new digs. He can hear. <laughs> Ma- can Mari, you, you been watching Sabrina at all? I have not watched it yet. It's in the queue, but I haven't mm. watched a single episode yet. Gotcha. You done yet, Vince? I am not. I had no time. Gotcha. But I will mainline some of it this weekend. Yeah, I'm on issue. Uh, issue. I'm on episode six. I do that too. I say issue for episode mm-hmm. I think I left off at four. The the nightmare demon? No. The sleep demon is number is issue episode four. Hmm. Well then I left off at at three. Okay. Alright, there we go. So I, I got some catching ups to do. Y'all still liking the Doctor Who? Hell yeah. Shit. Yep. Are you kidding me? Jody's like a she's amazing. She is she's rising good. above the piss poor storylines they're they're foisting upon her. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 slow build this year. Very slow build. My family's going without me to the premiere of Fantastic Beasts 2 tomorrow. Wow. I got a work event so I can't go, but That's a Harry Potter thing, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like yeah. a prequel or something. Yeah, yeah. Newt, Newt Scamander. Ah. The protagonist. You know, Johnny Depp has been the kiss of death for me for many movies. Yeah. He is the villain in this one. Yeah. I don't know. He, he was the villain in the last one, sort of, kind of. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. kind of. Yeah, that's what they... Yeah. Colin Farrell was actually the villain. Well, or vice versa, depending on how you want to look at it. Yeah. Hmm. But he was Depp's character in disguise. So correct. Yeah. Oh, yes. <clears throat> well, chances He's, are he Depp's you know, character, who Dumbledore loves and was his, you know, his his his. When uh, Rowling said came out after the fact and said that Dumbledore was uh, of the homosexual persuasion, uh, this is the character that he he loved. Hmm. He said, look at your ass. It's so muscular. <laughs> Basically, Johnny Depp and, and Colin Farrell, they, they, they were the same guy, so they would have voted twice in Trump's world. <laughs> wait, wait. Depp is Republican? No, it's just the whole today Trump said that um, 
Republicans lost the House because people were voting twice because they would go to their cars and put on a disguise and then go back into the poll. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's the old Don Post trick. Yeah, right. Right. just right. throw throw on a mask. <laughs> I get it. Fucking idiot. Oh. I, I, I don't know about you guys. I, I do know people that vote in, in multiple places, though. Because they're residents in two places? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's not fair. Now, are they, are they doing, like, like, are they doing the... Are they, they're, they're voting, are they voting for the right side of the, of the good versus evil. No, but I'm saying, but so, so, so they vote for whoever's in their districts, or would they, like, vote for the president twice? The, exactly. They, they, they do an absentee ballot in one of their spots, mail it in early, and then they go to the polls and their other residents on the day of and vote. But are they voting for the same person twice? Or well, are they the national for elections, like, sure. Okay. That's not good. It's not. Depends on who they're voting for. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's it's wrong, regardless of who they're voting for. It's wrong, but if it kind of writes things, it's... it's, yeah. it's no, it's, no, no, it's, it's still wrong. If, if, if loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Jesus. Voting twice against Trump is you, wrong, I don't want to be right. That's you know... True. If it comes down to me thinking something's wrong, then it's yeah, got to be hell. Yeah. Well, you have a—I mean, you'll you'll spend twenty minutes detailing a, uh, uh, you know a, uh, uh, you know. Go ahead, say it, ba- baby. You know, there we baby go. Porn, you know, uh, fanfic and uh, and and regaling it, but yet you think voting twice is, is unconscionable. <laughs> there, there are rules we have in this world. Yeah, that's, that's morally mm. reprehensible. Like, don't they have to show their license? Like, wh- I don't know. No. In no, fact, no, it's no, funny no, you say no. that. I So I've, you know, where I vote every year, I pull out my license to show, to prove my residence. And they, without even looking, they're like, oh, you don't need that. Same. No, we, they we did never, that to me this year. We just, oh, we, 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 there's the book. We tell them our names, where we live, and, and we sign right next to our old signature in the book. And then they give us the ballot and we go fill it out. That's nuts. It's not right. I mean, you need some kind of proof. You don't. That's a, that, that, that's, it's, well, the proof is the book. If you, if you wait a minute, you're the, the one that liked Eric Larson's... Uh... It's a right as a U.S. citizen. You don't need a proof. No, I liked Eric Larson's. It should be... Uh, what did he say? Sorry. If you're, if you're 18, you should just yes, be able to vote. Yes, you should be right. able to vote. Right. And it also should be mandatory. You should have and to vote. And it should be on a weekend, like other civilized countries. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, but we're entering into a realm that we don't normally <laughs> don't. This is the runoff, Vince. No, this is included because we haven't said goodbye. Well, that's that's your fault, producer. I am. Yeah. I am very. I'm, I'm at fault. All right, everybody. Hey, come back next. Well, next time because we never know when we're going to do another one of these things. That's true. What with Jason, it probably won't be Thursday night. Hopping across the globe. I'll so. see you, all of you. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. I won't talk to you until after Thanksgiving. Well, I will drop my uh, I will drop my previous video on these fools. Me too. Yes, and um, we got to get on them T-shirts, among other things. Yes. Among other things, um, maybe next time we'll have a guest. Maybe not. We'll see how it works out. Regardless, you can rest assured that the stalwarts of the eleven o'clock comics community, Dap and myself, will be here next time. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Exasperation is like my favorite thing ever. Do it again. <laughs> Do it again. I won't give you the satisfaction. Ah, oh, you dick. You like Mary Jane. 
Okay, thank you. We'll be back. We love you. And just uh, big, big, big thanks to Mario for helping us along with this. You're, thanks you're, for having me, fellas. Thanks, my, for yes. me, uh, thanks for letting me mourn with you. My brother. Counting down to Chi-Town, bro. Thanks for being here, bro. We're going to be spooning, though oh, not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mario, are you, are you all over that uh, that that three months in advance of linear date we need to keep track of? Oh, yeah, boy. I know what it is. I know what it is. All right. You're going to do that shit. It's his idea. Oh my we god! <laughs> he did it. For, he did it the last time. <laughs> Dap and myself are gonna be going through the Arby's drive-through. <laughs> yeah, give me they them sliders. The they got the, the meats. meats Curly flies. Give me them sliders, bitch. That's right. Four hundred dollars. Get out of here. Three seventy-five. Shit. Yeah. And no. And Plus no shrimps. No shrimps. Sh- Wait, no shrimps. No shrimps. There may be shrimps. It's up to. It's up to the to them. To them. Not cod. You're talking real shrimp, right? Yeah, no, 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 no red haddock. Probably more. They're more likely to have langoustines than they are shrimp. Well, I don't even know what that word means. <laughs> Baby lobsters. What? Are, what are they called? Langoustines. Stop. Yes. They are not called that. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. It's not even a freaking word, langoustines. <laughs> <laughs> Anything crawfish? You sound like my son now. My Colin's always saying to me, that's not a word. It's not. He's like, where do you come up with these words? Why do you need these big words? Just be a normal person and speak normally. Yeah. yeah. Seriously, why can't you say baby lobsters? They're not baby lobsters. They're another species of animal that looks like a baby, like a, like a smaller lobster. You just said baby lobster. Well, t- so, I could, so I could get you to picture what it is. Like, like a crawfish is a baby lobster too, but you wouldn't call that a baby lobster. And what do you call the other thing? Langoustine. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, we, <laughs> too much merriment. All right, Vince. Here's another word. But do you know what they call the bottom of a well cooked paella? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Sucarat. That's the bottom of it. Yeah. To to know if it's an authentic paella, you need to have a sucarat, which is basically. There's a the, the bottom gets burnt, basically, and then it gets scraped off and mixed in with the paella to give it extra flavor. So real legit paella has to have a sucarat. Aye. So you can't just say, "Did you put that burnt shit in there?" No, you gotta say. <laughs> well, that wouldn't sound very sexy, right? Well, neither does it's like sucarat. When you go to a steakhouse and you don't order green beans, you order haricot vert, right? Uh, yeah, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Exactly. You got me. Well, Mario and I will be sure to photo document our entire meal. And I'm interested <laughs> to see it. I just don't want to experience it. Cause I'll it's be... going to be so glorious. It's going to be transcendent. Do you know how many long boxes of stuff Dap and I are going to buy for $375? I don't because I will not be with you looking at long boxes. At 30 bucks a long box? Hell, what are you kidding me? You it's about the experience, home. Vince. It's about the experience. Oh, okay. the experience. Dude. We're going to ship like going them to back. A concert. We're going to ship them back. Wait, are, you, are, you two, are you two planning on driving? Who? You two. No, we're going to ship them back. To so use your quote, the stalwarts of uh, 11 o'clock comics. Yes, the band, the standard bearers. D- Dapp and, and myself are the dude on the back of the rig with the flaming electric guitar <laughs> leading the troops into battle, and you're way back waving to us. That's you. Like any good general should. <laughs> 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 We're out. Of, we're out of here. We Mario have our pinkies out to sip and tea. After <laughs> <our meal. laughs> 
<laughs> the other pinkies up your nose. We're out of here. We oh, love you. Something out of nose, though. Out of nose. Hmm. Mario, your wife's not coming to the the con. <laughs> Fuck no. Yeah, she's a fine woman. That's for sure. She is. She's a wonderful woman. Congrats yes, on the new addition, Mario. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How's that going so far? I mean, it's a puppy, and he's cute as shit, and he is shits places, you know. So. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, I know. Big, I mean, you know so do we. He's, he's he actually has been exceptionally well trained and well behaved so far. Like That's I'm, cool. I am amazed at how well he is doing at being a ten week old puppy. So. Nice. Fingers crossed. Knock on wood. He continues. Was this spur of the moment, or was this in the works for a while? It was it was somewhat spur of the moment. Yeah. As all the best decisions are. Right. Right. Nothing makes a house better than a puppy. Yeah, it's I, great. Best would give me vibes I could make it a third. Nice. Oh. Yeah. She's like it's not official, but she's been making starting making the hints. Dude, get a Yorkie. No offense, bro, it's not happening. <sighs> we you know we don't go for the small dogs. It's They're so team. smart though. Sure. He could lay in the bed between best legs and you could pet his head. The stalwarts of the 11 o'clock comics family, uh, you guys (laughs) give plenty of of love and care to the small dogs of the world. (laughs) One of us has to rep for the big dogs. (laughs) You know what? I've been thinking about getting a big dog. Like a a Labradoodle. Just because of the, because of the hyper hypoallergenic because mm-hmm. both yeah. both Mia yeah. and Nina are allergic. Oh really? Yes. So that's why we that's have Yorkies. Cool. So you have a house full of dogs. Your daughters are allergic. But no, we have Yorkies. They're they they're not allergic. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah, they they're exempt. Gotcha. Yeah, we wouldn't do that to them. It's not one of them. All right, we're out of here. Way too long. Sorry for the long lead out, but uh, we'll be back. We love you so much. We hope this helped, and uh, come back next time. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Peace out. Bye.